headquarters in New York to our television and radio audiences worldwide. Welcome to Balance of Power. President Biden's off to a brisk start to his week, having flown over to London over the weekend to attend the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II earlier today. He'll be flying back to the United States tomorrow so he can appear at the United Nations General Assembly. And also, by the way, having a bilateral meeting with Liz Truss, the new Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. And in between all that, he managed to give an interview to CBS 60 Minutes that made some news. To take us through this rather packed agenda, we welcome now Washington correspondent Joe Matthew. He's host of Sound on Weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome, Joe. So the president's doing an awful lot. Yeah, the trip to London was a quick one, David. The president, to your point, first lady are already on their way home just in time to pack up for a trip to New York tomorrow. The president will hold a fundraiser tomorrow and then address the United Nations General Assembly on Wednesday. He will deliver that speech, David, against the backdrop of the war in Ukraine and rising tensions between the U.S. and China, which may have reached a new level after President Biden's remarks to 60 Minutes about Taiwan answering a direct question on whether the U.S. military would help defend the island if attacked by China, he answered with an unequivocal yes, adding if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. And of course, this is not the first time he has said this. He has done so at least four times by our count at Bloomberg and CBS News is now reporting that after the interview, the White House did reach out to clarify no change in America's one China policy. We should note that President Biden also said the U.S. is not encouraging Taiwan's independence, but a spokesperson for China's foreign ministry says failure to understand the highly sensitive nature of the Taiwan question could further damage U.S.-China relations. Now, these comments will surely be in the air at the U.N. later this week, and of course the economy will be too. I probably don't need to remind you as well, David, that President Biden will be speaking on Fed Day, if you can just add another layer here. And despite expectations for another interest rate hike, the president told 60 Minutes that we are turning the corner. I'm telling the American people that we're going to get control of inflation. We're in a position where, for the last several months, it hasn't spiked. And in the meantime, we created all these jobs, and prices have, have gone up, but they've come down for energy. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's, but the pandemic is over. I'm more optimistic than I've been in a long time. 
Later in the interview, the president said the pandemic was over and that he hopes the economy will find a soft landing as we get control of inflation. David? Well, as I say, that's an awful lot to cover for the president and for you, Joe Matthew. Thank you so much. That's Joe Matthew. You can catch him again this afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern time on Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. And now we want to turn to an economist to get her appraisal about whether we are turning the corner on inflation. Betsy Stevenson is professor of public policy and economics at Michigan's Ford School. Professor Stevenson earlier served as chief economist in the Department of Labor under President Obama. So, Betsy, thank you so much for being back with us. Where, in your estimation, are we on inflation right now? Oh, I, I think inflation's kind of a, a hard question. So I'm going to give you the, the glass half empty answer and the glass half full answer. So the glass half empty answer is, you know, the last read on inflation showed that inflation was spreading across the economy in a way that looks like inflation might have become a little bit more entrenched, um, meaning it's just sort of getting a little bit more built in uh, in a way that's going to make it harder for the Fed to fight it through uh, raising interest rates. And I think that's where people were worried. Um, as we started to see inflation spreading from uh, the areas in which we had seen um, you know, problems with supply chain issues like in durable goods towards uh, things like more everyday supply uh, of services. And we're seeing that price of services going up, which of course reflects the fact that workers need to be paid more because we've had more inflation. But that's where we start to get these kind of wage price spirals that worry people. Um, so I do think that uh, we definitely have work to do to bring inflation down and it does look like it's become a bit more entrenched. That's the glass half empty. Now the glass half full is the Fed has taken strong action to raise interest rates and bring down demand. It's been able to do that without uh, causing uh, widespread problems in labor markets. Uh, so the economy remains strong uh, as the Fed is fighting inflation. And when we look at those, that you know, estimate of what happened to inflation in August, you know, we really hadn't had very much time since the Fed had raised interest rates 75 basis points in July. And I think that the Fed's actions you know, are, do take some time to percolate through, but they're clearly percolating through. And we're going to see the Fed raise uh, rates again uh, and this week. And, you know, that, that will, we know that the Fed is uh, on a path to bring us to higher interest rates, which I think we can be convinced will restore inflation uh, back to the sort of level of 2% inflation that the Fed targets. The question will be, how long does it take to get there? And what kind of economic risks do we face uh, on that journey? Well, and that's just what I'd like to ask you about. As you say, the FOMC is meeting. We're going to hear on Wednesday from them. It's pretty clear they're going to raise rates, probably 75 basis points. But when you say we have more work to be done, how much more work? Because that's the big question right now. People are talking about terminal rates 4%, 4.5%, even 5%. What do you think needs to be done to get inflation back in the 2% range? Well, I think this is one reason why people feel pretty confident that they're going to raise 75 basis points um, this week. You know, Chairman Powell said 75 basis points is unusually large. And so maybe he wasn't going to do 75 basis points. Maybe, you know, they want to try to slow the pace. But the reality is, even if they did only 50 basis points this week, they're going to do another 50 in November. 
So I think what they've learned looking at the data is let's move quickly. And that's why I think, you know, we will see 75 basis points. I think the market's even pricing in, you know, a pretty significant chance of 100 basis points. That's not answering your question about where will we ultimately get to um, with, you know, right now, I think the Fed is aiming to get us to four, four and a half percent. And I don't think we can judge whether that will be enough until we see what happens when we get there. Well, well, I think that's a reasonable path to plan. I'm not ready to say we need a, a path to even higher rates, uh, but I do think we need uh, to get where we're going quickly. Uh, Bessie, your expertise particularly is in labor economics, so let me take the other side of it. Without regard to what the Fed will do, if they do go to 4.5% or even 5%, what is that likely to do to the employment situation? You know, right now, what we are seeing is just incredibly tight labor markets. Uh, there are more uh, employers trying to hire people than there are people to hire. And so we do need demand to come down a little bit. The question will be if, you know, they bring it down too much. So that's that risk of over-tightening. And, you know, nobody wants to see workers laid off and businesses shut. The question is, how much does demand need to come down to convince people, you know, that I better hang on to my money. I better not spend it. I think the biggest risk right now is consumer spending is nearly 70% of GDP. And with tight labor markets, um, and a lot of support from the government getting through the pandemic, household balance sheets are still in a pretty strong place relative to you know, other time periods. And that is keeping consumer spending up, which on the one hand is great. That's what's preventing us from going into a recession. On the other hand, what we need is to see demand come down in order to have inflation normalize um, and therefore, you know, that strong consumer demand coming out of strong household balance sheets is the thing we've got to bring down. You know, fighting inflation is all about somebody feeling the pinch yeah. so that they are willing uh, to, to, you know, so that demand goes down. And the problem is none of us really want to feel a pinch. Betsy, one last one, if I could. We uh, last week had that big railroad worker settlement, at least tentative settlement, subject to ratification. Uh, I wonder what you made of that. Does that tell us something more broadly about where we're headed? Because even as wages have been going up, real wages have not because of the inflation. I, that That's absolutely right that, you know, if we look at real wages, particularly more recently, real wages have gone down. Now, if you step step back, there are, are some workers who whose real wages have gone up, and certainly nominal wages are up uh, substantially. Employment is up, which means actually, if we're looking at the bottom of the income distribution, earned income is up when you put together even real earned income is up when you put together that increase in employment with the increase in nominal wages. Um, I think when we look at the the potential for a strike, though, we see a labor market that's still tight enough for workers to have some bargaining power. They're using that bargaining power. And look, at the end of the day, strike is a failure of negotiation. So I want to see them get to a negotiation, 
settlement that allows them to continue to work. Because if we have a shutdown due to a strike, that's a reduction in supply that just makes fighting inflation even harder. Um, and so I think it is important that people realize that workers do have bargaining power right now. Labor markets are tight. And that is going to mean making sure uh, that we get some of the demands that workers have met in a way that they can come to agreement. And I think there's a proposal on the table. We're going to see how they vote on it, um, you know, and, and hopefully we can avert this strike. Professor, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. That's Professor Betsy Stevenson of the University of Michigan Ford School. Coming up, New York continues to contend with COVID-19 and now with monkeypox and with polio. We're going to talk with the former commissioner of the New York City Health Department. He's Dr. Dave Chakshi. This is Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and on radio. Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and Radio. I'm David Weston. We want to keep you up to date with news from all around the world. And for that, we turn to Mark Crumpton here now with the first word. David, thank you. It was the final public moment for a woman who reigned over her country for 70 years. World leaders gathered in London for the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II today. Her coffin was transported by carriage from Parliament to Westminster Abbey for services. Over the past four days, hundreds of thousands waited in line for hours to pay their respects. A travel ban forbidding Russian tourists from entering Poland and three Baltic states took effect today. They are the main entry points into the European Union since Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February. Border authorities in Lithuania say they turned away 11 Russian citizens in the first nine hours after the visa restrictions took effect. House and Senate leaders are running out of time to lock down the details of a bill to keep the U.S. government from shutting down at the end of the month. President Biden has asked for $50 billion in extra spending to be attached to the measure. There's bipartisan support for more than $18 billion in aid for Ukraine and emergency disaster funds. But lawmakers are at odds over nearly $27 billion in COVID and monkeypox spending. Traffic deaths in the United States have dropped for the first time in nearly two years. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA, estimates nearly 10,600 people died in car crashes from April to June. That's a 4.9% decline from the previous year. Deaths on U.S. roads had been increasing since the third quarter of 2020. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm Mark Crumpton. This is Bloomberg. Thank you so much, Mark. Well, public health officials have not had an easy time in the United States, and particularly in New York recently, obviously still contending with COVID-19 and as well as now monkeypox and indeed polio. Welcome now someone who has had to deal with all those issues, Dr. Dave Chachi. He is New York Health 
Foundation fellow. Dr. Chakshi until recently served as the commissioner of the New York City Department of Health. So thank you so much, doctor, for being here. Let's start with something we heard just yesterday from President Biden in an interview on 60 Minutes in which he said the pandemic is over. At the same time, I read that something like 400 Americans are dying every day, I believe, from COVID. Is it over? Uh, well, I wish it were true, David, um, but it's not. You know, we've got tens of thousands of Americans who have died just in the last few months uh, related to COVID-19, tens of thousands of infections a day. Um, and beyond that toll, you know, there are a few reasons for us to continue to care about COVID-19 and why perhaps this isn't, you know, the, the right message uh, to get out there. Um, the first is that we are um, in the midst of a really important campaign to try to get as many Americans vaccinated with the new bivalent, you know, the updated Omicron vaccines. Uh, and that is something that I, I know will help to save lives going forward. Um, the second is that for us to continue considering this an emergency, you know, that we are in a pandemic matters to have uh, the funding that we need for the public health response, not just at the federal level, but at the state and local level, too. So those of us who live in the New York area are very familiar with you. We saw you on TV a lot, uh, campaigning for us all to get vaccinated. Uh, and you mentioned the bivalent that is, uh, as I understand, specifically designed to deal with Omicron as well. Uh, Secretary Becerra is in New York actually today to encourage us to get that done. Do we have a problem in New York and more generally, perhaps, of just getting weary about vaccinations? Well, what I always used to say is that it's not vaccines that save lives, it's vaccinations. And that requires a lot of effort. Um, things like Secretary Becerra, you know, making sure that uh, he's showing people what needs to be done, but also just bread and butter public health, you know, what we call the ground game, making sure that people are out in neighborhoods, um, hosting events at churches and schools, uh, and making sure that people understand how consequential it is uh, to actually go and get vaccinated for yourselves, for your families, for people around you who are also vulnerable. Well, and now we are learning that we apparently have a problem, at least in New York, that goes beyond COVID-19, and it goes actually to polio, something that a lot of us thought we were close to eradicating. What is the problem in New York with polio? Because uh, Governor Hochul has declared it a, a disaster. That's right. The governor uh, declared a state of emergency earlier this month, and that was because uh, the initial finding of polio in some of the wastewater in New York counties uh, has extended to multiple counties now. What that means is that there is spread of polio occurring. Uh, and this is happening on the backdrop of not enough people being vaccinated, particularly in certain areas. The positive news, you know, the good thing is that we have a safe and effective polio vaccine. Uh, but the task is to make sure, again, that we turn those vaccines into vaccinations. So, so why do we have the vaccination problem? And to what extent is it actually tied, perhaps, apart into the COVID-19 problem? Because we had a lot of kids not going to school, so they didn't have to prove their vaccinations. 
Uh, yes, you know, that is certainly uh, one factor. I think the bigger ones, though, are the fact that there are there's misinformation and disinformation spreading about vaccines in general. We saw this certainly with COVID-19. And unfortunately, I think there's a spillover effect, uh, you know, with polio and other vaccine preventable diseases. Um, and what we have to do, you know, what the task, not just for public health officials, but for everyone, is to turn the tide of that conversation. For us to say we can save lives, particularly of our children, um, you know, and, and this uh, illness that was, you know, nearly eradicated in, uh, in our country, in our state, um, is something that we can't allow to come back. Uh, doctor, uh, we just had a viewer write in a question, so it's a little bit different. But Denmark reportedly banned mRNA shots for people under 50 last week. Do you know anything about that, and what is that about? Uh, yes, you know, different countries have taken different approaches related to the risks associated uh, with, um, you know, certain vaccines, particularly related to myocarditis. Um, this has been evaluated, you know, very carefully, uh, and I stand behind the science that indicates that um, the, the shots are safe and effective for all of the age ranges that are currently authorized by the FDA and CDC. Thank you so much for that. One last one on monkeypox, because that is, again, something that certainly in the New York area is a lot of concern about. I understand CDC has now approved use of funds that were for STDs as well as HIV to be used for monkeypox. Is that a smart decision? Yes, I believe it is. Uh, it means that there will be more resources to fight yet another emerging epidemic in monkeypox. The numbers are going in the right direction when it comes to the spread of the virus that causes uh, monkeypox disease. Um, but this is not a time to be complacent about it. It means we have to get uh, people who are more at risk vaccinated uh, because that is something that will give the most um, long-term protection against that virus as well. Doctor, it's really good to have you here. As I say, you're very familiar to those of us who live in the New York area for all your good work. Thank you so much. That's Dr. Dave Chakshi. Still to come, we're going to talk with White, White House Chief Diversity and Inclusion Director Michael Leach. This is Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and on radio. are on the Fed. The Fed has more work to do. 75 basis points seems to be baked in. How quickly do they get to the terminal rate? How long do they hold them there? Chairman Powell's going to have to read the same speech twice. Trust Bloomberg for the fastest coverage and exclusive analysis. Is the consumer buoyant? The dollar is a great place to hide. The U.S. are going to overdo it. Investors just have to hold on to their hats. With special commentary from former Fed Vice Chair Richard Clarida. Bloomberg Surveillance. The Fed Decides. Wednesday on Bloomberg. Your global business authority. This is Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and Radio. I'm David Weston. Well, the markets, like all the rest of us, are getting ready for the Fed later this week. And to take us through where we are, at least today, we welcome now Kriti Gupta. So, Kriti, where are we? 
Um, kind of in the middle of nowhere, I think, is the, way, is the way to put it here. Look, you're having a little bit of a hangover in the markets coming from this massive options expiry day on Friday when you did have that triple witching. So you have the major volume. Um, and so that kind of hangover is what you're seeing in the stock market right now. The S&P 500 down three-tenths of 1%, slightly uh, more pain in the NASDAQ down almost four-tenths of 1% there. But I think the real action is in the bond market. Before we get to that, though, I want to throw out a statistic from our very own Cameron Kreiss, uh, our very own macro man here. Yeah. He wrote this morning, he said that last week, the options expiry marked the ninth options expiry of the year. It was the eighth week in which you had an options expiry that had a negative week, eight out of nine. Uh -huh. Six out of those eight, the following week, you had a rally on your hands. So that's kind of what it feels like is perhaps the market pricing in here, especially going into the FOMC meeting. Traditionally, before the FOMC meetings or decision, I should say, you have two days of, of a little bit of sell-off and then people buy the actual news on the expectation. So the opposite of buy the rumor, sell the news, this is kind of sell the rumor, buy the news, if you will. So here's an unfair question. What are the markets trying to price in when it comes to the Fed? Are they trying to price in hikes? Because we know there are hikes coming, which right. I don't know how many. Or are they trying to price in hikes with maybe a cut next year? They're pricing in 75 basis points on Wednesday. That's the no-brainer. They're also pricing in a little bit more hawkishness uh, going into the next couple of meetings, into November and December. That's the game changer here because the original estimate was 75, well, it was 50 to 75 basis points in September, and then it would kind of taper off in November and December. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. The market now pricing in. I think 84 basis points, so 75 basically mm. for, for September, potentially 100, and then another 75 going into November as well. That shift in hawkishness is what's driving the two-year yield to almost 4%, David, pushing the dollar even higher. The feedback that. loop there is what's pressuring stocks, commodities, and uh, the euro and the cable. I was going to say, let's get to FX. Let's what's going it. on with the dollar? Uh, well, it's still rising. Surprise, surprise. Although it has kind of made a little bit of a round trip today. And I think this is really crucial because the the no-brainer trade here is if you're betting on a more hawkish Federal Reserve uh, and, and some sort of surprise on Wednesday, your bet should be on the dollar. But here's the bear case. It's such a crowded trade. Yeah. At what point does that trade break? And that's really where you start to see a, a perhaps a bull case for the yen, which continues to weaken. A lot of people saying as it gets closer to that 150 mark, we're at 143 right now on dollar yen. That's when things are going to break. And then you're going to see it come back into the U.S. bond market. That shooting even higher. I read somebody say, whenever you get to one side of the boat, you probably should go to the other side of the boat. <laughs> exactly. General, thank you so much to Critty Gupta. You can catch Critty again at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Markets, where she will be anchoring. Coming up, ensuring the Biden administration is diverse and exclusive with the man responsible, Michael Leach. This is Bloomberg. Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and Radio. I'm David Weston. We want to keep you up to date with news from all around the world. For that, we turn to Mark Crumpton here with the first word. David, thank you. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky has renewed his pledge to retake all Russian-controlled territory after his country's recent advances. President Zelensky hinted that another offensive is being planned. 
Ukraine claims that some Russian military units suffered loss rates of up to 90% in their retreat. In Pakistan, a court has ordered police to drop an investigation into a terrorism complaint against former leader Imran Khan. He was accused of threatening a judge and police officials during a rally last month. He'll still be investigated, but under less stringent sections of Pakistan's penal code. Khan also still faces several other court cases. He was removed from office in April through a no-confidence vote in parliament. In Brazil, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva is pulling, another, uh, pulling further ahead of incumbent Jair Bolsonaro less than two weeks before the country's presidential election. The latest nationwide poll commissioned by investment bank PDG Pactual finds that the former president captured 44% of voter intention in the first round, up from 41% a week ago. Bolsonaro held steady at 35%. A candidate needs to win more than 50% of votes on October 2nd, or a runoff will be held. Jury selection begins today in the trial of one of former President Donald Trump's confidants. Colony Capital founder Tom Barrack has pleaded not guilty to trying to influence U.S. policy as an agent of the United Arab Emirates. Federal prosecutors have accused Barrick and his assistant of using their access to the most powerful members of the U.S. government to provide inf information and assistance to the UAE. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm Mark Crumpton. This is Bloomberg. Thank you so much, Mark. It is time now for Bloomberg Equality, where we take a look at efforts to ensure diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And today, we're going to welcome the man responsible for it in the Biden administration, Michael Leach. He is the first ever White House Director of Diversity and Inclusion. So, Mr. Leach, thank you so much for joining us. I must say, I'm almost daunted by your task. I just looked it up. I think there's something like 2.8 million employees, federal employees. How do you go about trying to ensure diversity and inclusion when you have 2.8 million employees? Well, David, it's good to see you. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be with you. You know, it, it, it's not only myself. It's a cross-functional effort across the federal workforce. And uh, in short, you know, since the beginning of the administration, one of the president's top priorities uh, has been to build an administration uh, reflective of America's diversity and one that taps into the very best of our nation. And, and this commitment to making sure we have uh, representation from communities that haven't always historically had a seat at the table, if you will, right? It's something that the president wanted to see across the federal government, uh, including here within the White House, since being one of the many reasons uh, my role was created, which is, again, a first of its kind portfolio uh, to exist within the White House, uh, and is really intended to help build and maintain the staff reflective of our country's diversity uh, and to foster an inclusive workplace culture uh, that empowers our staff to really fill three things, uh, seen, heard, and valued while advancing the president's agenda. I think oftentimes when people think about the White House or uh, the federal government as a whole, it's sometimes perceived as uh, very compliance and policy heavy, right? And, and while those things are important, if leaders are not careful, we can uh, focus too much on changing policies 
uh, but not enough on changing minds, right? That is the hearts and the minds of the people uh, carrying out the work itself day to day and for the people we serve, which in our case is the American public. And so all that to say, it's going to continue to be a top priority. Uh, it underscores this belief that the United States is at its strongest uh, when our nation's workforce reflects the communities it serves and when our public servants are equipped to advance equitable outcomes uh, for all communities. And so could not be more humbled and grateful to serve uh, and encouraged for what we've accomplished thus far and excited for us ahead. Michael, as you know, in the business community, we like to say, if you can't measure, you can't manage it. Uh, and so let me start with the most basic thing. How do you measure diversity and inclusion in the federal government? Yeah, you know, it, it's a great question, and, and it's really multi-layered. You, you can measure it by the data, by the numbers, right? Diversity is who has a seat at the table. Inclusion is about who has a voice at that same table. So you can measure it uh, by your onboarding metrics. You can measure it by the engagement in your day-to-day, week-to-week, and month-to-month uh, engagement activities that we name as well. And so it's really multi-layered as part of the EO that was rolled out um, just recently, he signed it last June, and uh, you know federal agencies are starting to execute their strategic plans as part of that. Um, there's a maturity model, right? Every agency um, has a different starting place, and and so it, it, it's really multi-layered. Really depends. It's agency specific because we all have different starting places, uh, but those are just some of the ways we measure it. What's success for you? How will you know when you're at least making progress? I mean, you'll never get all the way there. Nobody ever will. But how do you know that you've made progress? Yeah, you know what? My vertical's mission holistically, right? We want to build a staff and selective, but we want to foster an inclusive culture where folks will think are devalued. Just some of the accomplishments, just to to name some, uh, we've onboarded the most White House staff in history, uh, including the first ever ASL staff interpreters. Uh, we've provided training. Success for us is absolutely make sure we have consistent um, hiring and best practices trainings offered for our hiring managers. Uh, policy, making sure that we're broadening the candidate slate for every said open White House role. And, and learning and development, I'm a firm believer that you should never stop learning because life never stops teaching. And so success for us is really normalizing the conversation uh, making sure that leaders within the agencies, but also within the White House, are more open and adept uh, to how to support their teams and be successful in executing that. Uh, Michael, having tried to manage some of these issues in private business, I know that one of the challenges is typically, this is certainly true in the organization I ran, you do better on diversity at the lower levels of the organization. As you go up the org chart, it gets harder and harder. I've seen some statistics for the federal government that suggest you got the same issue at the, uh, in the administration. How do you address that? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I think, you know, this work around diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, it's the acronym we refer to as DEIA, uh, it really requires us to listen and learn before we can truly lead. You know, I often share with senior leaders, you know, the good news about being in senior leadership or the C-suite is that, yes, you have a broader scope and view of the organization and the business with uh, latitude to shape it, uh, but the challenging news is that you're much farther away from the front lines, right, which makes it much more likely for leaders to receive those information. And so, 
it becomes more and more important than ever for leaders and organizations and uh, boards of directors for that matter to have communication channels in place like chief diversity officers, uh, like chief people officers who know how to navigate and maintain a deep understanding uh, of the day-to-day -day culture uh, by integrating ways to improve the culture in real time uh, just to ensure that the broader organization doesn't feel like there's too much distance between the overall mission uh, and the day-to-day. -day. I'm a firm believer that uh, distance creates distortion, right? The more distant you are from something or someone or some policy, the more distorted your view will be of that thing. And one of the primary mandates of a chief diversity officer or uh, any senior leader for that matter is to serve as the bridge that closes the gap between knowing and doing. Uh, and again, understanding this belief that uh, understanding may change minds, but it's action that changes lives. And to the extent you can put in place mechanisms and communication channels for that reason, that tends to mitigate some of the issues and challenges. Mr. Leach, thank you so very much for your efforts and also for being with us today. Really appreciate it. That's Michael Leach. He is the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at the White House. Coming up, it's Monday, which means it's time to check in on midterms 2022 with our political contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. This is Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and on radio. This is Balance of Power on Bloomberg Television and Radio. I'm David Weston. Every Monday, we take a look at midterms 2022. They're now coming up in just over seven weeks from right now. And we welcome back today our political contributors, Rick Davis of Stone Court Capital and Jeannie Shanzano of Iona University. So, Jeannie, let me start with you. Mr. Baldock, a candidate there is running up there in New Hampshire. We thought we knew where he stood. He was an election denier. Maybe not so much. Not so much. How quick they turned, David. <laughs> it was about 12 to 24 hours after he got the Republican nomination. He said he talked to a few people. He did some research. Apparently, Joe Biden is president. And I think the Boston Globe's uh, you know, headline summarized it all when they said, how dumb does he think voters are? And that's really where we are right now. You know, I think, unfortunately, for Bullduck, the New Hampshire primary is so late that the pivots that normally happen if you have a primary in May, he had to pivot very, very quickly after that. And very, very, very tough for Boldick to do that. He did it. And the question's going to be, does it, do any voters believe that at this point and does it have an impact? Well, and Rick, well I think. Yeah, go ahead, please. I was just going to say to Jeannie, uh, voters, uh, how stupid are they? Well, uh, <laughs> consider this. The Democrats ran co campaign commercials for Bulldog to the tune of $3.5 million, and I guess convinced those voters that somehow he was a better candidate than the mainstream Republicans. So I think the Democrats think that voters seem to be pretty stupid. Well, yeah, and, and I, I could say it was actually about, what, $53 million that Democrats spent for MAGA candidates in this election, effectively because they got, what, 
22 governors, 19 Senate candidates, and 11 secretaries of states who are all election deniers, and they think that's going to help them win. I'm not going to say voters are stupid, but I am going to say once they start paying attention, they may figure this out. Well, that's good. Uh, and Balsapar would not call <laughs> voters stupid. No. I think that's a good starting Never. point for covering the elections. At the same time, there are reports, uh, certainly access over the weekends, that they think that maybe the momentum is shifting back to the Republicans, Rick. Yeah, I think that uh, economic issues are going to prevail. They usually do. It's the economy stupid is something that we've all gone to live by. And the fact that uh, it, last week was a really bad week for inflation numbers brought it right back to the front of everybody's mind. And so, again, this week we start talking about what the Fed's going to do on Wednesday and inflation levels, but also the ugly R word, not Republican, recession starts to come back into the campaign lexicon. But, but, Jeannie, at the same time, if I watched the news over the weekend, it wasn't any R word. It was the I word of immigration, because there's an awful lot of coverage right now about how we are not dealing with the immigration problem, whether it's up in Martha's Vineyard or here in New York City or down in El Paso. Is that going to be an issue, do you think? It is. You know, as I'm watching this election, and to your and Rick's point, you know, it, it we're, looks like we're seeing like two elections play out at the same time. And in November, at some point, they're going to collide early November. And so if this is about crime and immigration, and it's about inflation and the cost of living, Republicans have a strong position. But if it flips and it's about what's happening in Mar-a-Lago and Donald Trump and abortion and the Dobbs decision, then Democrats have the edge. And I would tell you, I was looking at these numbers. It's astonishing. In mid-August, $9 billion spent in ads on this midterm election. Wow. If you can imagine, those are astonishing numbers. And what that means is this is really a fight on the airwaves. It's a fight to get people's attention. If you can own that message and you can flip it one way or the other, your side's going to have an enormous edge in what happens in November. And I think it's the spending that we should be watching at this point. We're 50 days away from the election. Rick, you've run some of these campaigns, unlike me. You've actually done some of these things and won a fair number of them as well. Is it all about the pocketbook in the end? And as we talk about abortion, as we talk about immigration, does it always come back to the pocketbook? Well, it always depends on who you're really talking to. I mean, the base gets fired up in the Republican Party when you talk about immigration. Uh, so that's obviously a good thing to do when you're trying to turn out the vote. But at the end of the day, if you want to try to broaden your coalition and pick up especially suburban voters who have been a little bit more hesitant toward Republicans lately, then you got to talk about the bread and butter issues, you know, the economy, uh, jobs, you know, things that are going on in their, their locales, including education, which has been one of the drivers ever since COVID started. So I think that it just depends upon uh, whether you're running in a, a base district where you just got to turn out enough Republicans and you win, or you got to actually get other voters besides Republicans, and that's when you really got to focus in on, on the economic issues. But I would say the Republicans are having a little bit trouble with discipline. I mean, only a few weeks ago we were talking on this show about how, well, maybe we got to pivot away from immigration or uh, pivot away from inflation because the economy looks like it's doing too well. Well, you got to stick to the plan. 
Well, and Jeannie, the problem with that in part is that economy can turn around even in seven weeks. That's not that long a period of time, but goodness knows, even last week with those recession numbers, we felt like it turned. It did. And poor Joe Biden, he was having a celebration of his Inflation Reduction Act the same day we got those horrific numbers and the stock market crashed. And so, you know, he, the White House had to, you know, have James Taylor playing his guitar on the one hand, celebra celebrating the act. And on the other hand, people were watching this split screen of the stock market going down. So it can change very, very quickly. And inflation is a huge, huge problem for this administration and it will be for Democrats this fall. So when we come back, we're going to talk about poor Joe Biden. And according to Jeannie Shanzano, <laughs> Rick Davis and SoCal Capital, and Jeannie Shanzano of Iona University will stay with us as we talk about President Biden. This is Bloomberg. signed on to a long time ago and that there's one China policy that Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving, we're not encouraging their being independent. We're not, let, that's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. That was balance of that, that. This is balance of power, and that was President Biden talking on CBS 60 Minutes last night. Still with us are Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. So, Rick, uh, give us a sense of this. How important is this China issue in these midterm elections? Is it just essential that we uh, forgive the expression "bash China" son? Yeah, this is normally just a walkover issue that nobody pays much attention to. You know, the candidates usually are all in are all consistent with supporting strategic ambiguity that no voter really understands. And so it's not a big issue. But now China's reacting very negatively to this, and it's, it brings China right back to the forefront. Whether any voters are going to pick their member based on an issue related to China, whether it's trade or national defense, I'd be surprised, but it does, it is good for some candidates who are good at foreign policy to brandish that image right now. But at the end of the day, I don't think voters are going to make their mind up based on this issue. At the same time, Jeannie, in that same interview on 60 Minutes, uh, President Biden, uh, at least I understood him to say, he's going to decide whether he's going to run again after the midterms. I thought before that he said he was going to run. You know, he did. And, and I think it was smart politics for the president not to muddy the waters, if you will, just seven weeks before the election and talk about, especially given his age and given the questions about whether he should in fact run, even amongst Democrats, as we've heard on the trail, he is taking a step back and saying he will decide after the election. So I think that was smart politics. And I think he will continue to make that case because because it is controversial, not just with independents and Republicans, but also with Democrats, whatever he decides to do. At the same time, Rick, go to the other side of it and former President Trump, because when there was that uh, uh, execution of a search warrant at his house, a lot of people fearlessly said he was going to declare right away. He's staying rather quiet on the question of whether he's running. 
Yeah, I think both these uh, leaders are understanding that the cycle doesn't start till after November for them, right? And the last thing they really want to do is take attention away from the candidates who are on the ballot. And so uh, Joe Biden, not surprisingly, takes a step back in the 60 Minutes interview. And, and Donald Trump, even in some interviews with Republican outlets, have has been a little more cagey about when or if he was actually going to announce for president. I think most People believe that they're likely to both run. Uh, we'll wait and see, but uh, at least they're smart enough, I think, at this stage not to become the issue in the midterms. Eugenia, uh, it looks at least, according to the polls, like President Biden might have a bit of momentum again. I think he's up to 45 percent approval, the, where he was actually last October, but he's reclawed his losses there. Uh, can he keep this up? He's hoping so. You know, he had a really strong summer. If you had told me earlier this summer that he would have passed all the bills that got passed, from the Veterans Health Bill to the Inflation Reduction Act to gun control, bipartisan infrastructure, I, I was not optimistic. And so he was able to get those through and to sign them. And we've seen that reflected in his approval rating, which has, as you mentioned, inched up, although he's still underwater. Um, you flip that, and Rick was just talking about Donald Trump. His favorabilities are double-digit negative, very, very bad. He's incredibly strong with his base, but he doesn't get much over about 30, 32 percent, if you will. So, you know, for, for Joe Biden, the question is going to be, can he maintain this through November? And I think it's going to be an uphill battle. We are already seeing on the Hill fights over continuing to fund the government through December. And once the midterm hits, all focus is going to shift to the presidential election. And, of course, it's going to be hard if Republicans take one House or both for the president to get anything on his agenda done. So he probably has had his best policy days, if you will, behind him at this point. Rick, uh, before we shift to the presidential, let's stay with the midterms just in this respect. <laughs> if you're a Democratic candidate or a Republican candidate, which one do you want to show up for you? Do, are there any Democratic candidates that really want Joe Biden to come campaign for them, and similarly Republicans? Yeah, it's a good question, David, because uh, you really want to control the narrative, and so that takes Donald Trump off the list because, <laughs> you know, when he comes to town, he, he controls the narrative, and the narrative is usually something pretty wacky. Um, when the president comes to town, uh, he does have a good sense of what that narrative needs to be for Democrats. Uh, but his polling, even though it's improved by eight points in, you know, 30 days or, or a little bit longer, the reality is it's still really uh, not great. And, and, and right now, one of the things we're seeing is even though his numbers are going up, the, the races where Democrats were leading, especially in the United States Senate, are getting tighter. So his increased polling data hasn't actually, it's been inversely related to the success of Democratic candidates. And so, you know, you've really got to scratch your head and say, gee, do we, do we want the president to come and potentially uh, not be appealing to some swing voters that we need to win? Uh, last word here, Jeannie. Do you agree with that? Democrats would just as soon go it alone? Yeah, I, I think at this point it depends on the district. You know, if you're in a district with you know, where Joe Biden won and he won double digits, you may want him there. Otherwise, I think they go it along and the focus for them is going to be abortion, 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 Trump as much as they can talk about it.
Thank you so much to Rick Davis of Stone Court Capital and Jeannie Shanzano of Iona University, both political contributors here at Bloomberg. Check out the Balance of Power newsletter on the terminal and also online. Coming up on Balance of Power, we'll continue on Bloomberg Radio. In our second hour, we'll talk to former U.S. Ambassador Poland, Daniel Fried. And this is Bloomberg. Today with Amazon Business, Shannon Stuckey of Walburn Woodworking helped her team buy 63 circular saws. Okay, Andy, take it easy. Now she uses her time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. The Bible says, be not deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. All right, it's 4 p.m. on Wall Street. Do you know where your money is? Welcome to Financial Issues, where we align reality with truth. Conservative talk radio you can count on. Financial issues that you need to know. We'll preserve for our children this last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. We will simply apply to government the common sense that we all use in our daily lives. Well, welcome to Financial Issues. I'm Shanna Burt, and I'm back with you live today, unless, of course, you're watching on Saturday, and then you're watching a, a pre-recorded best of from the week, from the previous week. So if you're watching on Saturday, make sure you get our phone app so that you can be with us live during the week. Uh, we are live for an hour a day, five days a week. So you can get our phone app and you can watch us live or you can go back and watch the podcast or listen later. So I am back from the FRC conference that I was at last week. I met some some great new friends, some great old friends of the ministry like Lynette. And I just want to thank you all for being faithful to this ministry so that uh, we're able to do all of the great work that we do, like publish the stock buy list, the asset allocation models, and for sending me to that great conference. I am fired up, let me just tell you. So uh, that reminds me, we are doing a camp. We are in the middle of a campaign right now to end our year strong. We are at about 26% of the goal. If you want to keep up with that, you can go to our our homepage at financialissues.org. There's a microphone there showing you the progress on our campaign. Now, we do have a generous donor who has pledged up to $50,000 to match your donation. So we're about halfway through there. So I encourage you to go do that. If you're going to make your gift through a QCD where you give directly from your IRA or do a gift of appreciated stock, then you need to get that done right away because uh, time is getting short for us to be able to get that. So this past Saturday, I don't know, I, I tried to take a, a little hiatus from all of the mainstream media, but 
In case you didn't know, this past Saturday was Constitution Day. It's the day that we celebrate our Constitution. I suspect, and I hope that I'm wrong, but I suspect that we didn't hear much about that. You know, so Joe Biden made some comments uh, last week or the week before about how um, those of us who believe in and support not necessarily the man behind MAGA, but the principles directing the MAGA movement are a threat to democracy. What? (laughs) What did you just say? (laughs) We're we're agreeing with that? Well, stick with me here because I'm going somewhere. So we have a Democratic Republic, not a pure democracy. Joe Biden said that we're a threat to democracy, right? So what is the difference between a republic and and a democracy? Well, in a democracy, rights are given by the majority, right? The majority rules. So whatever the majority wants, that's what happens. So your rights in a democracy come from the people. In a republic, like it stated in our constitution, we believe that rights are given, are inalienable, and are given by God. That is a huge difference. So a republic is similar to a representative democracy, except that it has a written constitution of basic rights that protect the minority from being completely unrepresented or abused by the majority. Sounds like what the left talks about a lot, you know, equality and all of those things that those sound like what, what the principles that it promotes, but it's not. Here's a quote from a website, Differin.com. In a republic, a constitution or charter of rights protects certain inalienable rights that cannot be taken away by the government, even if it has been elected by a majority of the voters. In a pure democracy, the majority is not restrained in this way and can impose its will on the minority. So listen to what the preamble of our Constitution states. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, that means those to come, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. You know, you heard a a quote from Dan. It was uh, in the show a lot. And he starts to quote that. And then he says, what don't we get about that anymore? So let's take a step back to our nation's Declaration of Independence. The preamble to the Declaration of Independence says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we are a nation built on the premise that our basic rights come from God, not from man. Our founders 
were very wise because they sought wisdom from the creator and the giver of all wisdom. And they made it hard, but not impossible for us to lose these inalienable rights. Do you even know what inalienable means? It means that cannot be transferred to another or others. Yet what have we done in this country when we've transferred the God-given right to life to a darkened understanding of the human carrying that life? We're on the verge of losing all these rights. Or rather, I should say, giving up those rights if we sit by silently and do nothing. How? By believing the lies. You know, before Jesus left, after he was crucified, uh, died and was buried and rose again, (laughs) before he left to ascend back to heaven, he warned us of those who would come astray, come to lead us astray, to deceive us. Not with outright lies, but by the twisting of the truth. You know, it was the same tactic that Satan used on Eve. And little by little, our society has traded dependence on God to dependence on man. That's the government. Here's what George Washington said in his farewell speech. Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain... Would that man claim tribute to patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness? These firmest props of the duties of men and citizens, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principles. If you have any doubt that this country was founded on Christian biblical principles, you need to go back and and reread history and not the history that's being rewritten. You know, 70% of Americans self-identify, more than 70% self-identify as Christians. But you know what the problem is? The problem is that 6% have a biblical world view. If you don't believe it, fact check me on George Barna's website. He gives lots of statistics about that, and it's even low in the church, folks. So if you don't have a right view of your identity and your purpose, if you don't know who you are and whose you are, who created you and for what purpose for which you were created, you are set up to make wrong and destructive decisions for, quote unquote, your life. You have to know your identity. Where do you come from? If you believe that there was a creator, you must acknowledge the authority and ownership of the creation. You have to understand that the purpose of your life is up to the creator of your life. If you believe that we're here by accident or coincidence, that there is no creator, 
that sets you up to be the authority of your own life and to determine your own purpose. Everything becomes up to you. Now, the scripture says, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. They are corrupt in their ways and are vile. There is no one who does good. So folks, if it's all up to us, it's all over with. Well, we're coming up on a break here, but we're going to be right back after this. And unfortunately, I didn't get to the end of what I was saying. So I'm going to come back and finish up my thoughts. But if you have a question for us, get your call in today. It's 610-363-1110. I'm Shana Burt with Financial Issues. We'll be right back. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. plastics can be so much more. Give this trash the second chance it was hoping hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag Program, happening in your neighborhood today. A podiatrist will tell you about your feet. A physical therapist will analyze your gait. A psychologist will help you manage your anxiety. But what if your walk affects your hip alignment and the loss of movement affects your mental health? The body is connected in unseen ways. That's why our doctors work together to care for all that is you. Kaiser Permanente, for all that is you. Learn more at kp.org. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan of Washington. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Change your vehicle's oil before your summer road trip and save money now with Pennzoil and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic for just $22.95 after mail-in rebate. Save money and protect your engine against sludge and wear with the synthetic oil change. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today or O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome back to Financial Issues. I'm Shanna Burt, and we are here live. If you have a question about the economy, the markets, your portfolio, stewardship, or you just want to make some comments about what we're talking about today, Constitution Day, or you want to give a plug for how this ministry has helped you in your finances, we'd love to hear from you. You'll be the first caller in the queue at 610-363-1110. Well, as I mentioned, we are celebrating Constitution Day today. It's not actually today. It was Saturday, but we weren't live Saturday, and I just don't want to let this opportunity pass. Well, let's let's take a look at what our founder, Dan Celia, had to say about the Constitution. Do you understand, folks, if you have not read the preamble of the Constitution, if you have not read the opening paragraphs of the Constitution, please do it today. 
and it'll give you such a feeling of God's grace. The one of the paragraphs reminds us that when the governed stop, or when the government stops governing for the good of the governed, that it is time to overthrow them. Words of wisdom from our founder, Dan Celia. Man, I miss him so much. (laughs) You know, Dan was a great patriot, and he was a patriot because he knew that this country was given to us and established by God to give us freedom. You know, how many times in the scripture does it say what the purpose of Jesus coming was? Yes, to give us eternity with Christ and reconcile, reconcile us and give us that eternity, reconcile us to God, forgive our sins. But he also came to give us freedom. You know, even in the Old Testament, it predicts that that the Messiah would come to give uh, liberty <laughs> to the captives and liberty to the oppressed. And that's what this country does so well or did so well. But we're in jeopardy of losing it, folks, if we don't wake up and exercise our God-given right to go down and vote and keep our country free, we're in jeopardy of giving it all up. So I mentioned in the last segment, you know, the scriptures in Psalm 53 says the fool in his heart says there is no God. They are corrupt and Their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. So if we have a, if we want to have a democracy where the majority rules, guess what we're, guess what, guess, guess what's in store for us? The majority are humans. And it's the scripture says they are corrupt and their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. So do we want to be set up to follow man and to let man govern over us? Or do we want to keep the God-given rights that we have that come from God, that, that are here to give us freedom, to give us liberty, and to give us prosperity? I mean, all you have to do is look at the most famous evil people throughout history, Hitler being one of them. They have this in common. They rejected the existence and or the authority of God and set themselves up to be God. So what does any of this have have to do with stewardship? Isn't this a financial issues stewardship ministry? Well, it has everything to do with stewardship. You know, stewardship protects, is an act of protection, and it protects the things that were given to us by God, our time, our talent, our treasure, and our freedom. So being a good steward of this country means that you're going to vote and that you're going to vote in this next election and that you're going to be involved in the government that God set up here on earth. If you think for one minute that God wants his people to be disinterested in politics and government, 
then you need to go read the part of scripture that prophesies that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to be the head of the government. So he wants his people to get involved with what he created. He wants us to be salt and light. And the remnant is small. You heard me just say that only 6% of the U.S. population has a biblical worldview. That means that we believe what the scripture says. We believe God is the creator. We believe that we are the created, that we are under his authority, and that the purpose of our lives is to bring glory to him. So you won't get our mission here at Financial Issues. You won't be able to come alongside of us and support the ministry unless you get the lens through which we view investing. So it all flows from knowing who it belongs to. So if you don't have a biblical worldview, you might not believe that everything is God's. You may look at the name on your bank statement and mistakenly assume that you own that money. You might look at the deed of your house and mistakenly assume that you own that house. You might take a look at your 401k or your social security check. It all has your name on it, but it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the creator. The creator owns everything. So that's what we believe here at this ministry. And that's why we teach you about financial stewardship. We believe that it belongs to God and that it must be handled or managed in a way that is pleasing to the owner of it. Matthew 25 tells us that it will be taken away if we don't handle it rightly. That's the parable of the, of the talents. And that sounds harsh and that sounds unfair. It sounds contrary to what our government is promoting with all of this equality stuff. They're not promoting equal opportunity. <laughs> equal opportunity is what the master gave the stewards when he left them in charge of money. He gave them all the same opportunity to invest the money, to sit on the money, to do whatever. But the results weren't equal. And that's what our government is pushing right now, equality, that the outcome has to be the same. That's not what the scripture teaches us. And in fact, we see in the, in the scripture of the, the stewards and the, and the talents that the steward that was motivated out of fear, by the way, fear of the master, hid the money and did nothing, just preserved it and gave it back. Didn't care. Didn't care about his responsibility. And what happened the master took what he had given to him and gave it to the one who was most successful. Again, totally contrary to what our government is promoting. So <laughs> let's come down off that heavy topic a little bit and just look at some of the economic news that we've seen happen uh, in this last week. If you want to follow this, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. Just go to financialissues.org and you can sign up for the newsletter. It is free. Um, 
It doesn't cost anything and you're not going to get a bunch of emails from us asking for money. Yes, there is a place on there where you can donate. Should the Lord impress that on your heart, you can, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to be in ministry. It costs a lot of money to be on over 400 radio stations across the United States and TV outlets. It costs a lot of money to um, to be here every day to answer your questions. So we just want to encourage you to do that. But you can get our, our weekly newsletter and you can see all of the economic headlines and you can see the news headlines that our news does, our FISM news that comes on nightly at six o'clock Eastern uh, Central Time, seven o'clock Eastern Time that gives you the news from a biblical worldview. You now, it's not a lot of commentary explaining all of why it's from a biblical a biblical worldview, but that's the lens. The biblical worldview is the lens through which we look at everything here at the ministry. So um, we also found out uh, Friday, I believe it was, that we're not going to have a railroad strike, at least not right now. The They have come to an agreement. They're going to keep working. They're going to get increases to their wages. And of course, this is going to lead and it's not just in the railroad industry it's everywhere you know we're seeing wages go up that is going to create more wage inflation you also heard uh, the markets are down quite a bit they were down last week uh, four and five percent on news that fedex the imf and the world bank are all predicting a global recession so you may have seen, if you watched 60 Minutes over the weekend, Biden saying that things aren't as bad because inflation isn't rising so much anymore. Now, he couldn't say this month that there was zero inflation, meaning not not the 8.2% inflation that we're seeing, but that there was a month-over-month 0% increase because there was. There was a little bit of an increase. And then you heard Jay Clayton talking about how we should, instead of focusing on this percentage, we need to be focusing on prices. That's the things that people can relate to the most. You know, the U.S. household is spending 400 to 500 more dollars a month because of inflation. Now, that's where it hurts, folks. So we've got to get this under control. He's vowing to do it, but he can't do it. Well, you know, we have um, our ag report coming up with Craig Halgert. Then we're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back here. If you want to be the first caller in the queue, you can call in now. Here comes Craig. This is Craig Halgard with your Financial Issues Ag update for September 19th. Well, corn futures finished nearly unchanged, but were 10 cents off their lows on Friday. As we head into this week, traders will be focused on news that the South American crop is getting off to a fair start, while in the U.S., we have a good harvest forecast. Toss in the fact that China doesn't appear to be as thirsty for corn and soybeans as last year, and all that points to a mixed to lower market to start the week. At the close Friday, December futures were a quarter of a cent lower, settling at $6.77 and one 
quarter cent per bushel. Soybean prices and volume continue to trickle lower. Uh, I touched on the good start that the South American crop uh, is off to here earlier, but it's worth noting that on Friday, a private analyst raised their Brazilian soybean planting estimate by 4.1% and pegged the estimated production at 151 million metric tons. While at the close Friday, the November soybean futures were three cents lower at $14.48 and one half cent per bushel. Wheat futures had a sharply higher uh, reaction Friday after comments from Zelensky and Putin. We didn't see any additional news on the Russia-Ukraine situation over the weekend, but I believe that to start the week, the traders are going to be focused on Russia's huge upcoming wheat crop and its dominance in the export market, and that'll probably get us off to a softer start. Uh, To close Friday, Minneapolis December futures were a dime higher at 9.38 and three quarters. Kansas City rose by nine cents to close at 9.35 and a quarter, and Chicago futures are up 14 and three quarters cents, ending the day at $8.59 and three quarters cents per bushel. Cotton futures broke hard to the downside. At the close, the December futures had dropped the 400 point limit, settling at 99.29. Livestock futures were mixed to end the week. December live cattle were 35 cents lower at $150.97 per hundredweight. November feeder cattle were 2.5 cents lower, uh, ending the day at $182.75 per hundred. And December lean hog futures rose by 32.5 cents as they settled at $87.97 per hundred. Class 3 milk futures broke hard early on, but then rallied later in the session and closed near the daily high. At the finish Friday, the October futures were 7 points higher at 21.45. This has been Craig Haugard with your Financial Issues Ag Update. We'll be right back with more financial issues after this. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. plastics can be so much more. Give this trash the second chance it was hoping hard to recycle plastics can be so much more participate in the hefty energy bag program happening in your neighborhood today right here in your neighborhood here's a little tale about hard to recycle plastics their destinies were changed their new lives are fantastic what once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling plastics can be Your hard to recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag program happening in your neighborhood today. Securities offered through GA Repel and Company, a registered broker, dealer, and investment advisor, member FINRA and SIPC. Opinions expressed by Shanna are hers alone and are for informational purposes only, and do not necessarily represent those of GA Repel or the outlet on which you are listening. You should consider how the information applies to your situation prior to personally implementing it and consult any financial professional you work with to make sure it's applicable to your financial plan. 
Welcome back to Financial Issues. I'm Shanna Burt, and we're to the question and answer part of the show. As always, uh, my priority is to take the callers, which we don't have any, so y'all are going to make me offer a book today. <laughs> if you want to call, if you want to call in, you're going to get you'll be the first caller in the queue, and you'll get a copy of Dan's book, The Fear of Money. So give us a call six ten. 363-1110 if you're listening live with us um, here during the week. If you're listening on Saturday, make sure you go get our phone app so that you can listen all week with us either live or go back and watch or listen to the podcast. So we're in the middle of our campaign for finishing our year strong in the tradition that Dan always did. So We're asking if you've been blessed by this ministry, come alongside of us and make a gift. You can visit our website at financialissues.org and click on the Sons of Issachar banner. If you make a donation of any size, you're going to get one of those shirts. You often heard Dan talk about, um, as people would ask how they could pray, he would ask for them to pray that he would be worthy to be found as a son of Issachar. Now, the sons of Issachar, as you may or may not know from Chronicles, were people, uh, God's children, who had special understanding of the times. And we ask that you continue to pray that for the ministry. Um, Speaking of praying for the ministry, we have asked the partners, if you received an alert a week or two ago, to be in prayer about how we can be salt and light and get engaged and be a voice in the overtaking of corporate America. So what we what we push here at the ministry or what we advocate is biblically responsible investing where we avoid companies who are using shareholder money to either profit from or support the agendas of abortion, pornography, the LGBT agenda, anti-family entertainment, and human rights violations. So we want to avoid those things if at all possible. And that's what you're helping us do when you support the ministry here. You're also supporting FISM News that comes on every single weeknight at 6 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Now, I don't have the clip to show you today. You'll actually have to go to the website and get it yourself. But they did a story on Friday And it showed a clip. They were talking about the 87,000 new IRS agents that were funded in the Inflation Reduction Act of Joe Biden. It does nothing to reduce inflation. It does a lot to promote the agenda. So one of the things that it does is create this, these 87,000 new jobs at the IRS that, by the way, you have to be willing to carry a firearm and although they took it down, be willing to use deadly force if necessary. And you hear Ted Cruz in this clip talking about how um, that's going to be targeted at the middle class. It's not going to be targeted at the big corporations. It's it's going to be targeted at the middle class. And they're looking at um collecting all of this, what they're saying is fraudulent tax returns, people trying to evade taxes 
and the middle class. Um, another thing that it does, which is pretty interesting, is it sets up some uh, programs to really go after cryptocurrency tax fraud. So if you haven't noticed in the last few years, there's been a, a check check mark on your tax return asking if you have engaged in any crypto transactions. Well, you know, um, we are supposed to be, if you're, if you're investing in crypto, you're supposed to be reporting your capital gains and losses in those crypto transactions. So even if you're just buying goods and services, you're, you can have gains and losses there. So, um, you know, the government sees the, all of the money that has been made in crypto, maybe not so much now, if you still, if you still hung on to it and, and wrote it all the way down. But in the previous years, if you had gains in that, you were supposed to report them. So the other good thing that we see is uh, Rick Scott has a comment in there and he warns people, you know, you may not want to apply for these 80, one of these 87,000 new IRS jobs because if the balance of power shifts in this next election, Republicans are going to defund that. And I want to hold his feet to the fire. And if, God willing, that happens, then we definitely want to do that. We definitely want to defund that part of it. You know, and that's the beauty of our country. If you didn't hear me talking about Constitution Day, which was this past Saturday, in the first segment, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. You know, it I, I give us some information about the difference between a democracy and a republic, which we have a republic. In a republic, we believe that our rights are given to us by God. In a democracy, the majority rules. And we all know what the scripture says about the human heart and how wicked it is. So do we want to be ruled by man or do we want to be ruled by God? I would put forth that we want to be, continue to be ruled by God. So that's one of the beauties. If we get out and vote in this country, we make our voices heard, then we can potentially take back this country. Now, I will tell you, it, we have a long, long road to hoe if we do that. This country is in very bad shape. And I was blessed to be at the FRC conference over the weekend, and we talked about all of the issues, all of the things that are eroding the moral fabric of our country. You know, this battle over life versus choice, um, the agenda of the LGBTQ community, how they're trying to take away parental rights. Some of the things I heard over the weekend were atrocious about things that are happening across this country where our children are being indoctrinated in their schools and it's being hidden from us as parents. If you don't believe it, just go watch some of the speeches from the FRC conference. They're all posted online at the FRC Pray, Vote, Stand, uh, 
vote stand conference. And that's what we have to do in this country. We have to pray first. That's that's the first thing always. We have to vote and then we have to stand for biblical values. So, Seth, what do we have on social or Ash Shannon? We got some good stuff here, Shannon. You know, I didn't want to interrupt you on that rant, though. That was fantastic. Good stuff <laughs> on a Monday morning. Uh, let's do some Ask Shannon here first. We've got Chris saying, I'm 42, I'm married. Uh, four small kids. I'm a surgeon. I make, I assume he's saying I make 200,000 a year in a lot of education and mortgage debt though. I've got 300,000 in a biblically responsible brokerage slash IRA, 200,000 in principal 401k from a former employer and 15,000 in a current employer's 401k in BlackRock. I've looked in the video tutorials for what to do. What do I do with these biblically irresponsible 401ks? Do I roll the old 401k into a new 401k and then see if the uh, John An- the, the, the uh, John Hancock will allow a non-BlackRock fund? Do I take the tax hit and get the funds out of the 401k and pay off all the debt? Well, that's a tricky one, Shannon. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yep, there's a lot there. So what I would say, the first thing that I, that I see there is that you have two 401ks that are not biblically responsible. Now, a 401k is an employer-sponsored plan, and they set up an opportunity for you to be able to contribute on a pre-tax basis. Now, one of the restrictions there usually is that they get to choose the menu of funds. And I can see there that they've included BlackRock and some others, which so many 401ks do. Unfortunately, most 401ks are not going to give you the opportunity to be biblically responsible unless you just put the money into a stable value fund or, you know, a U.S. Treasuries fund or something that's just, you know, just cash. Because the problem with mutual funds out there is that they don't screen. So the good news is less than 10% of companies out there violate one of our screens for biblically responsible investing, making the universe pretty big, 90% or more for individual stocks. Problem with mutual funds that don't screen is that they're going to include at least one or two of those companies that are violating the screens because they're the biggest companies. And here's why, and he mentions BlackRock. So $20 trillion, that's the size of the U.S. economy, is controlled by BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. So they don't actually own these stocks. It's the people who own their mutual funds that own them. But guess what? They're getting to vote the proxies for these companies. This has led to the infiltration of corporate America. Now you have these big institutions controlling policies set by these companies. They get to vote for board of directors. They get to, you see the left coming in and drafting shareholder resolutions and all of this, and they are really influencing what is happening. So the way that you that you get out of that is to be able to build your own portfolio or to use funds like the Timothy plan who are doing the screening for you. So 
One way that you get to get out of your 401k is if you terminate employment. So I see the bulk of his, um, of some of his liquid assets is in an old 401k. So you should be able to, if you, if you just roll it into the new 401k, you're going to be stuck with their menu of funds, which are probably not biblically responsible either. So the option there is to roll it into an IRA account where you get to control which investments that you use. If you're using a discount brokerage, then you get to build your own portfolio there. So folks, we are coming up on a break and we've got three calls in the queue and it is my goal to get to all three of them when we come back from this next break. So I just encourage you, go to our website, check out the Sons of Issachar banner, donate to our year-end campaign and get a Sons of Issachar shirt. We are about 26% of the way to our goal and we have a match that can double your investment in this ministry. So I'm Sheena Burt with Financial Issues. We're going to be back right after this break. Opinions and recommendations expressed on this program do not necessarily represent the opinions of the station or any of the program sponsors. Additionally, all products or services offered by the program sponsors may not be known by the program. Welcome back to Financial Issues. I'm Shanna Bird, and we are here live. We're going to get right to your calls, but I just wanted to remind you that. Uh, We are celebrating Constitution Day today. It was actually this past Saturday, but I don't want to let the opportunity pass by to remind us that we are a nation that was founded by God and we are given our inalienable rights by God. Go back and listen to my comments in the first segment of this show if you missed it, because it's really timely as we're seeing our our rights come under great scrutiny and be in jeopardy of being lost. So it is one of the great things in this country that we have free speech, that we have protection of our religious liberties. And that's what, you know, you'll, you'll hear, you won't hear God willing. (laughs) You will never hear a show go by where we don't mention Jesus. In fact, The mission of this ministry is to expose Jesus for who he is, what he means, and all he can do. So if you want to to keep those rights, get out and vote. If you want to make sure that our voice stays strong, contribute to this ministry and just go to our website there. Well, we have a call from Robert. Let's get right to Robert. He's calling from South Carolina. Uh, Shana, how are you today? Good. Listen, I just have a suggestion. Um, Marilyn and I were at a football game. She works at the Christian school that's local. And I met several people, and I talked to two or three of them about this ministry. But um, I want to make a suggestion that maybe you guys make a Word document on the website 
that has cards on it where we can print those cards off so we can hand them to them. Because you know how we are. We're busy. A lot of people have kids and you know, not to not to worry about those financial things after they get home, but they're interested in it, but they don't have any way of knowing it. So I, I thought maybe if we had a car or something we could hand to them, when they think about it again, they might be able to pick it up. Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, we don't have anything that you can actually print out, but I'll pass that along. We'll see if maybe we can get something on there. But here, here's another great idea. You know, most people have cell phones these days. Um, what you could do is um, ask them for their phone number or their email address and just tell them that you want to send them the link and just text them the www.financialissues.org website or email them the website as well. And then you you have the opportunity to, to tell them a little bit about the ministry. You know, people will word of mouth is a, is a huge, is the best endorsement that we can get, right? So when somebody shares their testimony, whether it's about the gospel or the ministry or your favorite restaurant or whatever it might be, that's the best endorsement that, that we can get. So, you know, just take that opportunity, maybe just to, to text them or email them. And um, then they'll have that and they'll be, they'll actually be able to go back and see it later too. Okay. Um, I had one more question for you. Um, sure. Have you guys got a video on the cash part of our portfolios? I think that would really help me. Um, there is some verbiage on, I believe it's the asset allocation page uh, along the right-hand side there that says, that gives some instructions, and it may be on the cash part of the website, too. If it's not, I'll I'll go back and put it up there, but um, I think you can search the partner side for keywords that, that might help, so you could try that there. Okay. Shana, thank you for all you do. I appreciate you greatly. Thanks for your kind words, Robert. Well, let's go to Jeff. Jeff's calling from North Carolina. Good morning, Shanna. Good morning. Yes, I have a question about the tracker. Uh, I'm taking your advice. I'm getting back in the market because I went money market and kind of timidly did that. But anyway, I'm back in the market now, and I'm doing divided everything up, and uh, I'm putting X amount per month. Now. Uh, I'll add a stock on the tracker. Now, the next month I come in, to make the, the average of my cost on the tracker so I can you know keep up with that, do I re-enter that same stock again, or is the way I could do an average on the, you know, the price I paid for it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so the a great resource for that is your brokerage statement. You know, a lot of times you can log in and you can see your brokerage right. will calculate the average cost for you. So you can put that in as you're putting in. Just keep it one line, the symbol oh, of the just stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do one line, put the symbol of the stock, and then next to it you'll put your number of shares, which if you're dollar cost averaging into it, you'll 
you know, you, you'll change the amount of shares that you have. And then from your brokerage statement, you should be able to see your average cost. And then you can put that in there for a cost basis. Yeah, because I'll use them both. I have Fidelity, but your tracker is just off the chart. It's wonderful. Anybody out there that spend the extra few dollars to get it, it's quite, quite easy to use and it's quite helpful too. So, uh, okay, I'll do that because I didn't know if I needed to re-enter it every time and uh, that makes it much more simple. Yep. <laughs> and I do Great. simple well. And you're a blessing and thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. And thanks for that endorsement too, folks. So if you're wondering what he's talking about, for $85 a year, you can be a partner of this ministry. You can have access to our buy list and sell list that's published every week. It's it's updated every week. You can also see our asset allocation models. You get to listen to our partner conference calls, which by the way, we have one this week. And if you're not a partner, you can still participate in that partner conference call if you become a partner this week. The minimum investment is $85 a year, not a month, a year. And um, you'll be able to hear all of the things that we share with the partners, like being in prayer about how we can become saltier and lightier <laughs> in corporate America. That's not a word I know, but um, <laughs> how, we can, how we can get engaged in the uh, culture war in corporate America. So we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about what's happening in the markets and the economy and what you should do about it. So for $124 a year, just a little bit more, you get access to our tracker if you're managing your portfolio on your own. This is a tool that you cannot be without if you are following our strategy because there's nothing else like it. Um, I know I've looked for nine or 10 years to see, to try to find another tool that can help me um, navigate the the strategy that we're doing here because it's it's based on sectors and it's it's a real specific strategy. So this tracker is very simple to use, as you just heard Jeff saying, and um, it can help you see at just a quick glimpse where you're overweighted, where you're underweighted, and what move you need to make next in your portfolio. So check that out, financialissues.org. Well, let's get to one more call. We've got Anna calling from California. Hi, Anna. Hi, Anna. Good morning. Um, I am a member and have been a member since I retired about three years ago. And I was working in the uh, local government department in public safety for many, many years. And when I retired, I retired with quite a bit of money in my IRA nationwide account. And uh, I began by uh, putting 20% of it into uh, my Charles Schwab account and started reinvesting using your, using, uh, financial issues method. My, my 
question is, is that I know that that 80% that's there is a huge amount still in my nationwide account. And and I, I'm not sure if I should... Now, now, mind you, here I am. I'm, I'm retired. I'm senior. And I'm not exactly needing the money now so I can see that 10-year range and... Even the twenty percent I put in um, is is put into um, the accounts that are set up for long range, and I'll be able to get a a certain amount of uh, money uh, in ten years. But uh, my question has to do with how do I uh, move that eighty percent? Should I move it into the Charles Schwab account and then start investing, or should I take some of that money and, and put it into a uh, into a um, what do they call it when you're not in an IR account? A non-qualified. Of, yes, a non-qualified account. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so that's a great question. Um, So what I would suggest that you consider is to move all of that money into, I'm assuming that the account at Schwab right now is an IRA account. So you can move all of the money from from the retirement plan into the IRA account with no tax consequence at all. That way you're going to be able to have... uh, any choice that you want for that money. So you can keep it in cash. You can put it into CDs. You can put it into individual stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, whatever you want. So the world becomes wide open. The world of investments becomes wide open and you have choices to actually be biblically responsible. So I would suggest um, for that reason, the freedom to choose which investments you want and also Um, You're not limited to their uh, particular investment choices, um, moving it to that IRA account. And also for simplicity reasons. Now you're not going to have to keep up with with two different accounts, IRA accounts, and that's going to become even more challenging as you become 72 and you have to start taking those RMDs. It's better to have everything simplified under one account. So I would recommend doing that, and then you're going to be able to be biblically responsible. And then also taking a look at your tax situation. Um, For whatever money that you can remain in the 12% tax bracket, that makes a whole lot of sense to move into a non-qualified account because I believe taxes are going to be higher in the future than what they are today. And it reduces the regulation risk, which is the government can change the rules. So folks, we are at the end of the program. Thank you for sticking with us today. Thank you for celebrating Constitution Day with us. Um, Make sure that you thank God for the freedom that he's given you and continue to protect, be a good steward of that freedom by getting engaged and voting. We just remember that everything is his and we have to be a good steward because he's coming back and there's going to be a test. Well, I'm Shanna Burt with Financial Issues. Come back tomorrow, same time, same place. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. 
Thank you for joining us. This has been an FISM production. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. plastics can be so much more. Give this trash the second chance it was hoping Hard to recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag program happening in your neighborhood today. Today with Amazon Business, Shannon Stuckey of Walburn Woodworking helped her team buy 63 circular saws. Okay, Andy, take it easy. Now she uses her time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. Amazon Business honors Jill Lau, Chief Procurement Officer of Global Network Bank. Last week, Jill saved big and used Amazon Business to help her team buy 327 headsets. Now Bob can keep his conversations to himself. Wait, am I still on speakerphone? With business buying easier than before, Jill now uses her extra time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. Thank you for holding. Hang it up, Bob. Welcome to the Women in Business radio show with Sean Murphy, connecting women in business around the globe. Hello and welcome into the Women in Business radio show studio. I'm Sean Murphy. My co-host is Adele. Say hello, Adele. Hi, morning. Adele, Adele Martin of Executive Midlife Coaching. I don't know what I do. One day I'll work. <laughs> I don't have a title. No. I'm just we I'm just, I'm yeah. just Sean. That's not not like I'm not taking on pretensions like Madonna no, and Opera because I can't work out I'm Prince. It's because I don't know what I do. <laughs> okay, so we are here for we are here for the Fit for Business show, and we welcome into the studio today Maria Tumas Baker from Darkness to Light Hypnotherapy, and we are going to be talking about hypnotherapy. How can it support you? How can it support you? In business how can you support you in your f personal life basically how can it help you and perhaps dispel some of the myths that um miss miss what's some misunderstanding misperception is miss mis mis misunderstanding am i making words up again no, no, misperception <laughs> misperception it's all missed yeah, no, it is. Yeah. yeah it is it's all okay misunderstood that's that's what we're going to be talking about um first off i think we should we share how people can connect with us i mean if they're listening to us it may seem like a bit of an odd thing but if you're listening to us right now literally right now at 11 o'clock on thursday morning you are listening to us live and of course we turn <laughs> this later on we turn it into a podcast and i'm, I'm ashamed to say we don't edit out any of this no. and ahhing and bits and 
pieces and, and it stuff. Real. Yes, <laughs> Keep, keeping it real. That's really nice. <laughs> we are though. We don't edit. What is you know? You don't. No, who could edit this? I mean, let's be honest. No, been very difficult, wouldn't it, to weed it through? So, how can people listen to us? Do you want to do this bit of deal? Okay, then you can listen to us on Spotify, Audible, Apple Podcasts, and Spreaker, and also on Alexa if you enable the skill. And how do they? I, I think we ought to share. If you just go and search for the mm. Women in Business Radio Show, you will find, you find us. us on there. You will find us. Mm-hmm. And you can also connect with us on Twitter at Wib Radio Live. You can connect with us on Instagram at Women in Business Radio. And Facebook and LinkedIn, we are the Women in Business Radio Show. We are. And you can become a supporting member. So if you would like to support the show, we want to keep it affordable for anybody, um, all women in business, to be able to come on to the show. We don't want to start charging huge amounts of money, uh, anything like that. We want to make it accessible and we want to make it fun. If you'd like to become a supporting member, that's only £7 a month. And you get a premium newsletter as well. And you can find out more about that by visiting the Women in Business radio show. I've got, I've got nothing else now. What? <laughs> what we got? <laughs> our usual, our usual questions fit for business. So we are going to. We're now going to get Maria to join in the conversation mm-hmm. with us. Um, so hopefully she's listened to the show beforehand, <laughs> so she knows that we do this. Yeah. But if not, uh, that's actually okay. And in fact, sometimes that's better. Because I think we get um, real answers. Mm. We don't get... People haven't thought about it. So, should we start with what have we learnt this week? Yeah. Do you want to go first? Okay, absolutely. So, for me, what I've learnt this week is slow down to go faster. So, I've been using this week just to look at... We've been... Well, we were talking about some replanning before we, we came on air and starting to think about what quarter four looks like and quarter one into next year and I was already going at speed for this week so I just took some time I slowed down took some time out and then uh, was able to replan so that actually I can go faster on x y and z because I took some things out that I didn't need to do so sometimes we Mm. think we need to go faster so I just literally slowed down um, to go faster was what I've learned this week. Mm. Mm. Maria what have you learned this week? Oh, gosh, on the spot, straight away. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> what have I learned this week? Gosh, um, I have learned that uh, I've got to basically, uh, like you're saying, Adele, slow down, think about things, see what I really need to do and what I don't need to do um, and put things in their place, uh, actually, because us Women in business, we are so uh, on the go all the time. We're constantly on the go. and We don't actually have much me time either. Uh, so we need to really sit down and say, do I really need to do that? Uh, can that wait till next week? Um, so I've been just been looking, looking through that, um, creating new folders in my Outlook with action and pending. <laughs> and just trying, trying to be more organised, really, to see what I actually do need to do and what I don't need to do, actually, at the moment, um, which is quite a lot. Mm. So that's what I've learned this week, too. Yes. I think I'm going to follow on from both of those because 
I'm all forever saying you need to stop and you need to plan and you need to do this and you need to do that. But then I can't actually do it. And this week I have. I I have done it. And what I learned was that you actually have to create the space to do that. And you have to do it at a time that's going to work. So I had the urge to do this whilst I was running goodness knows how many events. And one of them was, was the biggest event for me of the year. And so sitting down and thinking actually you know i need to spend you know a week planning and organizing myself it's just not the right time to do it so i had to put it in the diary and create that time but at a time at, at, when it worked mm. it's no good trying to do this when you can't do it yeah. and then you get to the end of it and you think oh that's something else i failed i haven't managed to do that i haven't mm. failed to do that you you have to take a few minutes mm. Just take a few minutes and, and look at your diary and go, when can I do this? I think we're very, very hard on ourselves, mm. actually. Uh, we're constantly thinking, we've got to do, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And at the end of the day, um, we've got to give ourselves some slack mm. and sit down. Take, um, take five minutes or ten minutes of really good deep breathing mm. and just think, um, you know, what is this all about? Mm. What uh, what do I really need to do? Otherwise, we will just get into complete overwhelm. And I, I think I think yeah. that was the thing. I I made a decision that what I actually needed to do was to run the damned event. That I knew what I needed to do for the event, and that, that now and I had just had to do that. And that sitting down and taking two days or three days to actually plan the next year, even though as much as I felt I needed to do it, it was not the right no. time. I needed to run that event, and I think I think that's where I've sl- slipped up before. Is I know I need to sit down and plan, and then I try I make a decision to do it at a time when it just can't happen. Mm. Because there's so much else going on, it's just impossible. So I learned, yes, you do, I need, do need to create that space, but I need to create it at a time when it works. And what is the priority now? And the priority could be that you need to do the VAT return. The priority could be that you need to do something else. You know, it could be that you need to go to the hospital. Whatever it is, it's no good trying to fit in a session of sitting down and relaxing and planning when you just it, the time isn't right. Mm. Um, what are we on to now? Book recommendations. Have you got one? I uh, I have binged on a podcast this week. Um, it's not him again, is it? No, no, no. It's absolutely not. No, it's um, it's the podcast called Zoe Science and Nutrition, and I've been following them for a little bit on Instagram, and then I've clicked over. And there's some it, because of what I do. There's some emerging research on the link of food and mindset so some emerging papers that have come out particularly around women we know historically most research is based on young uh, men because that's generally the ones that volunteer but there's some new emerging research that's come out on the link of food and they've been talking about like milk alternatives it's just it's just kicking the tires on things that perhaps we take for granted like he's vegan really that that healthy processed food so it's just a new and more refreshing way of looking at it and um, but it's based on yeah so i've been following that for this week so i've done some binging on that so rather than the book i've probably had about 
five or six hours of binging on the podcast while I've been doing quite a lot of cardio and walking. In fact, we need to change that because it's not really a book recommendation. It's what are you learning? What are you yeah. reading this week? Is that I'm going to look. I actually have notes. This is the problem. Yeah. So I'm going to change that. It's equivalent to like so many chapters, but it obviously it's delivered yeah. as a podcast. I I like that. What's it called again? A Zoe Science and Nutrition. Zoe Science and Nutrition. And what I also like is each podcast is about thirty five minutes long, so it's it's it's, it's easy to yeah, listen. it's easily it's not, digestible. I yeah. did think about cutting this show down into mm. into more parts, but I'm not going to. No, we may perhaps we'll do a little survey or something. <laughs> um, Maria, what are you reading at the moment? Well, I must admit, Sean, I've got about seven books on the go. Um, they're all in a pile. Like me. <laughs> I'm like that. On my, on, my, in my, on my table in my um, therapy room. Um, and at the moment, I'm not getting to really read any of them. Um, I've, I've started them. <laughs> but it's just finding the time to sit down and read them. But one book in particular, I don't know whether you've heard it by Dr. Julie Smith. Um, I can't, I just, what's the, the exact title? Uh, I, well, actually, you've, pop, you've popped it down on your bio as one of your um, oh, why recommended books. I've, I've, I've seen this, actually, on Audible, but I haven't got yeah. it. So it's Why Has Nobody Told Me This Before exactly. by Dr. Julie Smith. Exactly, that's correct. What's it about? Just rough, um, just it's, it's basically about um, uh, how the mind works, um, more or less what... I talk about in my sessions um, and why we think the way we do and when we have thoughts that uh, are not uh, really good for us uh, what to do about about them how to how to think differently there's all sorts of things in it actually I've only just sort of more or less started it but it's 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 a book about psychology really um, the way we think why we suffer from anxiety mm. um, what's going on in our brains when we're doing this and, and how to uh, rationalise it and how to stop doing it. Um, it's fascinating and I'm following her on Instagram and she puts out wonderful reels and all sorts of videos on it. So, so that's good. Um, yeah. I might hop over and have a look at that one. Yeah, it's, it's a good book. I'm still on Eckhart. I know, I know. You talked to me about the SB. I know, know. yeah, Yeah. but that was different. I don't, I I don't fancy Eckhart Tolle. He's wonderful. I listen to some of his videos as well. Yeah, I'm. So I've I've been listening, and and that's all I've been doing really. However, I have been reading a book about the history of tarot. So tarot cards. Yeah, and they're absolutely they're fascinating. Mm. I'm not going to go into to detail now, but just the history of tarot Mm. cards and all all of that Mm. sort of thing. It's I don't know. It's just something that sort of grabbed my Mm. grabbed my attention. Um, so sort of totally off on a tangent actually so it's got really sort of not a lot to do with anything else but just a little bit of it's interesting to listen to the history because we just accept tarot now but where where did it come from? a little bit of a little Mm. bit of interest because I think it's something that people get confused about um, about what they're for and how they're used and fortune telling and all Mm. of this sort of thing but they have this huge and wonderful history behind them as, as a lot of stuff like like the Bible has, mm. you know, there's a fantastic history behind it, even if you don't believe in it. Yeah. Um, it's still interesting to, mm. to read it. 
So that's what I've been doing. History of Tarot and more Eckhart, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I don't know, here we go. This is a difficult one for you and I, so I don't want you to worry, Maria, but it's all on you because... <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> we have we have two little questions now. So one of them is, what's your biggest failure? And the other is, what's your superpower? Well, of course, if it's your biggest failure, we can only have one. Can't you? you can only have one <laughs> failure. I haven't had a massive failure since last week, and I only have one superpower. So um, that's it, really. So what's your biggest failure? Have you had a failure this month or this no, week that you can no, break up? But I really would say my, my biggest failure is that I jumped in too early in my business journey and invested quite a lot of money into a piece of software that I really didn't need. Mm. So for me, I should have... Um, allowed my business journey to go further so I really crystallised what I was trying to do but I got pulled in from a good conversation hand over da, da, da. I had some startup funds and I handed it over oh. so that's probably my biggest failure so what what that enabled me to do so when I've now gone to phase two of my business. People say to me, why have you taken 12 months to go from where you are to deliver my app, which the final version is going in this week, was because I was only 12 days in and handed over money. So now I've decided a 12-year journey, 12-year, well, 12-month journey with my provider has enabled me to do that. But I handed over some money early on that I, that I really didn't need to. Do you know, this is probably in the wrong in the wrong show. This should probably be in the, the sort of business show. But I have worked with quite a number of people now who have had bespoke software built for them at huge expense mm -hmm. when there's actually an off-the-shelf solution that sometimes is actually better. Yeah. Um, because it does more. And so you're sharing in the sort of collective buy-in, aren't you, rather yeah. than having something built as specifically for you. You're not tied into the person no. who built it for you because because you can move um, if you need to. Um, and I can think of very, very few business cases where you need bespoke software built. And I've seen quite a few people who've spent thousands and thousands and thousands to have something that looks like a spreadsheet with a bit of a database on it that, for starters, you can go and get from Mac or Airtable will do it. Um, there are, Zoho will yeah. do it. Mm -hmm. And it's nothing. It's actually, you look at this thing and you think, hmm, that's actually really not that special. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. um, and in fact, it's not special at all. Yeah. So, yes, be very, very careful. And before mm. you have something built, go and have a look and see whether it's already out there because mm. you may be surprised. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Maria, what's your biggest failure? Is this in uh, my personal life doesn't, or business? It doesn't life? matter. doesn't matter. Whichever. Oh, I, 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 I think yeah. sometimes that the two things, once you go into business, the two <laughs> things are very often... Blurred. <laughs> blurred. <laughs> <You can't. laughs> some, some, um, sometimes the biggest failure in our personal <laughs> life leads to our business. Yeah, so. uh, and normally it's getting in with the wrong person. Yes, yeah. Uh, which I did when I was in my teens. Um, uh, and then in my business actually um unfortunately it was last year where a bit like 
you, Adele, I um, uh, went on this sort of uh, free challenge with um, a hypnotherapist uh, who's basically really, really, really good. Uh, she's only been going for about three years, but she's really built up a huge following. Um, and um, I uh, did a free a free challenge with her, you know, the five-day challenge. And then I went on the final uh, sort of online call with her. And I decided to actually um, uh, subscribe to her mastermind bit, which was just under £2,000. Because I thought, yes, this is really going to help me. This will give me all this stuff to be able to do, etc., etc. The next day... I thought to myself, I can't swear on the show, can I? No, no not really. Okay. Damn it. Um, why did I do that? What were you thinking? Um, because I, a bit, maybe a bit like you, Adele, I just thought, yeah, this is, this is for me. And then I decided the next day, why did you do it? It's not actually So did me. you get your money back? I only got half of it back. Ooh. So I was really out of pocket by about nine hundred quid. I'm not she sure. Was only I'm prepared to. I'm give. not sure that's legal. Mm. I'm not sure. I, I'm saying I'm not sure that's legal. Mm. But basically, I said to look, I've, 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 I've only used this one tiny part of your thingy at the moment, you know. Uh, but she said, because I'd signed the terms and conditions, da di da di da, she could only mm. give me half. Mm. So was that in the UK? Yes. I felt really, really. I bad think. About I. Th- it. I think. I'm not sure. I mean, for anybody listening in, um, make sure you know your rights. And trading standards will very often always help you if you are with the FSB, something like that. Mm. They have legal support. Yeah. My understanding is that you have 30 days, even if there is a contract. But I'm not sure about that. Mm. So just it. It okay. is always worthwhile checking. Well, I did. Um, I did check the mm. terms and conditions um, uh, and basically there was um, a small paragraph that said something about you can have mm. your money back if 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 and obviously mm. my if wasn't applicable okay I decided that it wasn't for me so <laughs> rushed into it in the speed of the in 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 the in the um, it's like love, isn't it? Exactly. It's <laughs> why the model's designed. Yes, the five, yes, the this model's this designed this for that. This is why. This is why you shouldn't go to bed on the first date. Okay. <laughs> yeah, never quite. <laughs> You oh, need a cooling off period. You want to see them in the light of day. You do. I see <laughs> when they're not on their best behaviour. Unfortunately, that's why you know the five-day challenge is a method. Yes, it's a sales it is. Method. Yes, yes so, it is. Of course, it is. And I didn't realise it. Um, I, but I tell you what, you will not be the first, and you will not, not be the you last. Will not, you will no, not be the last. And I, and I try not to beat myself up about mm. it. But you know, it was money that. I could have used for a yeah. lot of other things, but not getting bespoke software. <laughs> yes, yeah, but you know, I, I, 
this sounds a bit trite, but but very often there is still something to learn. There is something to learn yeah. and to take away from that. But I did. I learned not to fly into yes, things. Yes, and and that you, because I know you work with clients, may well be able to use that to support your clients further down the road, which which adds more value to yeah. to your own, you know, to what you're able to share with them because of your own knowledge and experience. Yes. So annoying, but there you go. There you go. It happens. I can't think what my biggest failure is. There's, there's so many of them. They just keep reeling round and round, <laughs> round and round and round. I, I, I don't know. Some of the things that perhaps I regret is not getting organised fast enough. Um, but I also think things happen when they're supposed to happen. So that's that. So, what's your superpower? I tell you, you can't have any more superpowers left. I would say the one I always come back to, but I always to be careful, it could always be my Achilles heel, and that is resilience. So I have the resilience because that's what my whole business is based on. But sometimes I can be so resilient that, you know, I have to just stop and slow down. But it is my strength, mm. and I've, all, I've always had that strength of, of no matter how hard it gets, I, I will mm. go. Mm. What's your superpower? Oh my goodness me! Did you ask me this question? Did I? No, 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 I didn't. No, nope. didn't put anything down on my. No, nope. okay. you won't ask this question. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> my superpower, gosh, um, I would say empathy and compassion. Um, I love hearing what people have got to say. Um, I'm very into really good relationships uh i yeah and i just uh, uh, my superpower is my work i think also i have such a passion for it i absolutely love it and when i sign a sign a client off after after they've they've finished um my heart sings because i'm just so passionate about it mm-hmm. but it's the i think with me it's the empathy and the compassion um for people who are going through issues because I have been through them before, mm. so I know what they're going through. Yeah. Everybody has one. Mine is still the same. I've only got the one. It's thinking on my feet. Mm. Oh, absolutely. That's what I do. Mm. So that's that. Those of you listening in to me now, <laughs> waffling on, may not think that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's time to start chatting, talking with Maria about hypnotherapy. Um, can you tell us just 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 briefly how you got into being a hypnotherapist because that wasn't how you started out in business was it it wasn't you you've had a you've had a little bit of a journey that brought you to being a hip a hypnotherapist and i think being a hypnotherapist is quite is quite recent in your business journey isn't it uh it's four years old now um I ran my own bilingual English-French-speaking virtual assistance business, um, well, since 2002, really. So I was running that uh, for 17, 18 years. And in 19... Sorry, 19... 2017, um, I went to see a solution-focused hypnotherapist uh, because I had a fear of flying. Um, which has had basically got worse and worse over the years. Um, 
you know, when I was younger, I sort of flew all over the place. But I think since I had my child, my daughter, it had begin to began to build up. So I went to see her, um, and because I was going on a, a long haul flight, um, and I needed help. And it was great because we didn't actually talk about flying at all, <laughs> which might seem strange, but that's actually what you do in mm. uh, solution focused hypnotherapy. Um, so she, um, that was so great. Um, I loved what she did, and I thought, do you know what? I'm, I'm getting now. A, um, I don't particularly want to do what I'm doing. I don't want to be a VA anymore. Mm. I work with so many different clients, good ones and bad ones. I thought I'd really like to study this because I've always been really interested in psychology, sociology, um, uh, at school. I studied it. And so I thought, yes, let's do some training. I would like to train to become a solution-focused hypnotherapist. And so um, it took me about, it took me a year to basically uh, uh, finish my VA business. I had to find someone to take over my clients, uh, someone I could bring in to take over my clients. Yes, that's right. Um, and so um, I did my training in 2018. It was a, a, a year's training. But it was, God, I've never worked so hard in all my life. When you get to my age, and it's like going back to school or university, it was really, really hard, really mm. hard. Um, and um, But I did it. Uh, a lot of research, a lot of written work, a lot of case studies, a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, class work. But I did it. And so I qualified in October 2018 but I didn't start, didn't start my business until uh, October 2019 because I had to obviously find someone else to take over my yeah. clients, my VA clients. So, yeah. So that's that's how it worked, really. So you've you've said a couple of times, solution-focused hypnotherapist. Yes. Is that a thing? So is it a particular thing, or is it just that what you're what you're calling it that you are fo focusing on? solutions or is is it like a particular discipline dis thank you <laughs> sorry what did you say discipline, discipline. So is, is 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 it is it a thing it is a thing yes. right okay it, it, so what what is what is a solution I, I i think we can probably work it out from the name a solution focused hypnotherapist but yes. i've only ever heard of hypnotherapists yeah. yes. so what's the difference between if i was sitting here and making a decision about who to go and see for all of my various <laughs> strange peccadilloes and problems um what what would i be getting with a solution focused hypnotherapist and what would i be getting with a hypnotherapist is there it, can you actually draw a dividing line like okay. that okay well i can't really i i i've never had actual hypnotherapy before um so i'm not quite sure what they do uh but solution focused hypnotherapy uh, is um, it's a it's a discipline, and uh, it involves um, actually getting the clients to find the solutions to what they want. 
So basically, when they come in with an issue like anxiety or depression, or I've dealt with domestic abuse, I've dealt with body dysmorphic disorder, all sorts, they'll come in for the issue and the first consultation, the initial consultation, they go through everything that's gone on in their lives or everything that's affecting them, okay? But from then on, it's not like counselling, we don't go over it mm. every time. Once they've told me what is the problem, that's it. From then on, we are not talking about it. We're looking at exactly what they want in their mm. lives, how they want their lives to be, what solutions they need to find. Mm. Because actually, at the end of the day, when people come to me, they come to me because they know they want to make the change but they're just not sure how to do it. Okay. So it's a question. Do you actually hypnotise people? I do at, at the end, but I actually mm. don't mm. like that word, hypnotherapy. Hypno is Greek for sleep. Mm. Okay. So I don't like the word, but I have to use it. I like to call it more focused attention or relaxation or trance. If you think about it, if you're going along the M20 up to Maidstone, um, you will get there and quite often you'll think, how the hell did I get here? I don't remember driving. You know the police listening to this, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's trance. You're you're focused. No, it's good because you're focused on your journey. You're focused so much on your journey, you're almost in a trance because you're concentrating. So you're unconscious. Yeah. Co- yes. yes. So you're conscious. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've experienced it. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to call it focused attention. And I do that um, in the last part of my session, the last, say, 20, 25 minutes. Um, but they'll come in uh, for the initial consultation. We'll go through everything that's been going on. Um, I'll fill out all the necessary paperwork because I have to ask them if they are suffering from anything else like um, migraines, um, IBS, um, um, rechecking things all the time. So I go through all their details, they married, children, etc, etc. I need to have their doctor's uh, doctor's surgery. So there's a a list of questions I go through um, with them after they've told me what they're wanting, how they're wanting to feel. Um, and then um, I do a session where I talk to them about their brain, what's actually going on in their brain. So I draw a lovely picture on my whiteboard of their head and I explain to them about their conscious part of their brain, which is the top bit, the left prefrontal cortex, which is the part where they think rationally, intellectually, um, and, um, you know, what the... Uh, left prefrontal cortex intellectual brain does for them it's their boss brain if you like and then I talk to them about their limbic system which is their primitive brain Um, and I talk to them about the uh, original parts of their primitive brain which are the amygdala you've probably heard of that the hippocampus and the hypothalamus which are the three parts which all connect together when you're having a moment and feeling very, very anxious or depressed. And we like to call that, I like to call it their health and safety department, because that's the bit of their brain that wants to keep them safe. So the amygdala is the most important part. That's the bit that uh, recognises 
their feelings. And then you've got the hippocampus next door, which is like their memory library, good and bad memories of their life, what's been going on. And then the hypothalamus, uh, which is the part that releases all the chemicals uh, needed, the chemicals into their, into their body, like the uh, adrenaline, cortisol, etc., etc. Hopefully some serotonin sometimes and some good hormones. Um, but they all work together to keep uh, the, the person safe. And it's really their default brain because it's been like that for thousands of years when we lived in caves. If you think about it, all we had to do was uh, go and fight wild animals, bring food in for our family and, and um, maybe fight other wild tribesmen. But we didn't have to think about getting our tax return in or going for a meeting or doing a presentation. Okay, so the default brain was the primitive brain in those days. And that's how it's gone on um, all along the centuries, really. Uh, and our, our um, left prefrontal co uh, cortex, which is, our, uh, which is our intellectual brain, that's the part that we need to use, the boss brain, to make decisions, to think about things rationally, etc., etc. But unfortunately, when people are going through uh, lots of stuff in their lives, it's their default primitive brain which takes control. We, we can also call it the chimp brain. There's a great book mm. called The Chimp Paradox, which a lot of people have probably read, and that explains exactly yeah. what's going on. So I go through that. And do, sure. you, find, do you find that when the understanding that when people understand some of the biology behind what's happening, it makes it easier for them to deal with Absolutely. perhaps feelings of stress, anxiety, fear and overwhelm. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Okay. The amygdala is also known as the fight-flight-freeze part of the brain. Okay, So that's the, the, re the original central part of the brain, the, the amygdala. I say, and that connects up with the hippocampus and the hypothalamus. So they all connect together to say, we need to keep this person safe. Uh, so when I explain it to them, their eyes, um, and they say, oh, I didn't know that. Goodness me. But that helps them to understand, mm. actually, what is happening to them you know, when they're feeling this way. So we go through that, um, and that takes, well, that takes about 15 minutes and we also talk about their stress bucket um, because everybody has a stress bucket every day. I mean, I don't know how full your stress bucket is today, Sean or Adele, but anyway, we go through... A, we have oh, a stress my stress bucket is always overflowing. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so we talk about the stress I live, that's how I live. Bucket. Wine and stress and coffee. <laughs> I find they balance each other out quite good nicely. Idea. Good idea, Well, not so good idea. But, um, and then we talk about sleep, how sleep... When we sleep, we need um, a lot of REM sleep uh, to basically bring all our negative thoughts from our primitive brain um, up to the conscious part of our brain, our left, left prefrontal cortex, to have control control over our thoughts. So there are about five different cycles of sleep. I mean, uh, it's very complicated, actually, our sleep patterns. And you need to read a book called Why We Sleep, mm. uh, which is brilliant. But um, when we're sleeping, we are able to really rest uh, and uh, rethink about what's going on in our lives, okay? Um, and so, yeah, so we talked to them about their sleep, and then I talked to them about um, 
various techniques that um, that we suggest that they they take. We always recommend doing what we call the three P's. So each day, doing something positive, okay, positive action, positive interaction, um, phoning somebody or emailing somebody, being positively interactive with someone. Like all those people who are in the queue to see the Queen, actually, mm. they are talking to each other and they are um, really, really feeling a lot better because they're getting together and talking about their love for the Queen, etc., etc. So, so everybody, just... everybody in that queue's got something in common, haven't exactly, they? Exactly, exactly, yes. that's right. And so they're able to interact together. But even, you know, I always have say, uh, helping a little old lady over the road, maybe, that's a really good positive action that you've taken, okay? Positive interaction is talking to people, interacting with people. And that brings on positive thoughts, okay? Which increases your level of ser serotonin in your body, okay? Also, gratitudes. Everybody's heard about this. Writing your gratitudes each day. What you're grateful for, actually, because we've all got loads of things to be grateful for, small things or, or big things. So, um, the uh, that's the initial consultation. So, there's no hypnotherapy or focused attention in the first session. So, it's explaining about the brain, etc. Can, et can I pick your brain? Um, to you could try <laughs> actually sort of to to dispel some of the myths around hypnotherapy because it, it could well be that some people don't seek hypnotherapy because of some preconceived ideas. So, how does hypnotherapy actually help? What does it do? Okay, what they're thinking is. Um, they're thinking that they're going to be made to do something they don't want to do. Um, they've obviously seen all the stage hypnotherapists do what they do. Like, what's his name? Eat onions and act like a chicken yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But that's completely different. That's a stage show. Um, when they are on my couch, um, I'm not in control of them. All I'm doing is they're laying on my couch... First of all, we start with deep breathing, and then I'm just talking to them. And I'm talking to them in what we call language patterns, okay? And there are lots of different language patterns dependent on what they're actually going through, if it's confidence or low self-esteem, etc., etc. Um, I'm just reading to them, and they're very, very, very relaxed. Some fall asleep. But most of the time they're just there, they've just got their eyes shut and they're just listening to my voice. And then after that I will read them a metaphor, which is a story. Um, and then basically I will bring them back into the room if you like, but I will ask them to maybe wiggle their toes and wiggle their fingers take a couple of deep breaths so so with the metaphor eyes. so yeah. with the metaphor and the story are you sort of guiding people subconscious to, yes. a, a, to uh, guiding people subconscious to a learning which is um is, is abstract the right word which is away from the key issue that they're actually dealing absolutely, with absolutely absolutely so it's really getting helping them to rewire their brain mm. okay so um if they're going, I mean, I've had a, a lady um, 
well, she's on her seventh session on uh, Tuesday, but she suffered from uh, postnatal depression and really, really, really bad postnatal depression, and she's been anxious ever since. Um, and she went to a counsellor a couple of years ago, but then um, all her depression, anxiety came back. And so uh, she was recommended to me. And she is doing so well. Makes me want to cry. She's doing so well now. She's smiling again. She's feeling normal again. Uh, she was um, very worried about her little boy starting nursery school. Uh, and I said, well, what evidence have you got that something's going to happen to him? None. Okay. Okay. So it's all about thinking these thoughts, but well, what makes you think that's going to happen? Perhaps di diving a little, uh, going a little deeper into mm. it. Adele, I think yeah. you're going to say something. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been hypnotised. So people are probably not aware. I had a speech impediment as a child that I just learned to manage. And when I had um, my spiritual awakening or menopause, um, the speech issue actually came back. And one of the triggers for me taking the time off was I was absolutely embarrassed in a large corporate meeting where I just lost my words and someone said, you can't speak properly, which is exactly what was said to me as a child so it triggered and then obviously I, I then decided to set my own business up and then someone said to me how are you going to run your own business if you haven't can't find your voice and I do you know I thought that probably the one thing left so I'd gone into speech therapy most of my life and then someone said to me why don't you try hypnotherapy and gave me and I worked with somebody in four sessions and it it was it was so interesting because it was not what I expected. And then when I went back out and, and had to have um, a meeting um, in the corporate world, I got to the end of it and I was like, ah, oh, I didn't, I didn't stammer. And it's really interesting. But what it does is for me, it's, it's like, it, like I said, it's not magic, but it's not going to cure it. But it's given me um, a mechanism of, of controlling it. So, and then it's very similar to NLP. So it's that same element of it. And that's why once I'd finished my three sessions, I then sat, sat with that person and said, you know, can you just understand it? So, yes, yeah, so it's very interesting. Mm. So it's not at all, um, it wasn't solution-based. It was just basically, I've got a speech in impediment. I'm going to need to use my voice. I'm now on the radio. And people say, to really? Yeah, because I've learned to manage it. And hypnotherapy was one of the things because I couldn't do speech therapy any longer because it just didn't work for me. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely mm. great. So, so basically, um, each session, the clients come in and we always ask them what's been better about your week. Okay. And they will give, um, oh, I've managed to do this. I managed to do that, or I felt better. So we go through that, and then we do uh, a thing called scaling. So from one to ten, um, asking questions: How's your anxiety? How's your how's your confidence? Um, so depending on how, because there's a lot of research that I have to do before each client, you know, and there's, there's, it's ongoing work all the time. So um, I do scaling to see how they're doing, um, and then I use a technique called the miracle question, um, which basically is getting them to visualize 
what could happen if they had a, a, a really, really good night's sleep and a miracle happened where they could change anything they wanted to in the world, anything, anything about themselves, anything about anything really that's causing them concern, and they would wake up and they would feel different. So we go through that, um, and basically it's all about moving on, finding solutions. We don't, I say, we don't talk about anything from the past again because that's past. So it's all solution-based, so it's solution-focused. I think one of the things that's come out of this for me is, you know, when you were saying you're reading um, scripts and words and this sort of thing, is that sometimes we forget the power that words have because we use them all the time and we just use them and we hear them on the telly and we hear them on the radio and we hear people saying and speaking them. You know, that sounds like a ridiculous statement, but it is. They're just with us all the time that we forget sometimes that the words that we use can have an effect on us, but the words that other people use and the words that we absorb can affect us in a great in 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 a in in a huge huge way a huge way i've never studied nlp and i'd love to do that but what i'm actually reading is a bit like nlp because it's words for that person mm. so it could be um a language pattern about stress release where i'm taking mm. them on a boat they're just lying back in a boat on a lake. So I'm basically creating the picture mm. for them uh, where they're releasing a lot of what's going on in their head. Mm. Um, so yes, so, so there, it, it is language. It's all about mm. language. And the metaphor is just a, a story. Um, there's a story which is my favourite about... Uh, it's called The Caged Bird. And it's about a little bird... Uh, in a birdcage uh, uh, that is so fearful that uh, it does, it, whenever the uh, owner comes and opens the cage, it, it will not fly away because it feels uh, in its comfort area is this cage. Um, and it's a beautiful metaphor about this little bird who just even at the end uh, when the owner comes and leaves the uh, door open, for a long time, it, all the birds are flying around and saying, you know, saying to it, why are you not coming out? Why are you in this cage? But it prefers to stay there. So that's a brilliant metaphor mm. about people staying in the same situation. And we all have, um, we all have the possibility to make the changes. Okay, we just need to focus on them um, and not worry. Uh, just a very quick thing if you when you're going to do a presentation okay you've got your powerpoint presentation a bit like adele did uh, at our gig the other night you've got this big presentation and you're thinking to yourself this is not going to go right i'm going to make mistakes i'm not going to say i'm not going to say the right thing um and it's in your mind it's in your mind that you're not going to do it right okay so you've probably done about 40 or 50 of these presentations um, and every one of them you're thinking, oh, it went wrong. But you know that it's gone, it's going to go right. So it's a question of knowing what you want, okay? Knowing that it's going to be okay. And at the end of the day, it is okay. 
So, yeah. So it's just your thoughts. 50, 50 of my presentations have gone terribly. They haven't, but you're, it's mm. in your mind because you're very nervous about doing this presentation. My one is always <laughs> something's going to go wrong because stuff just does go wrong, but that's okay because I can deal with it. Yeah. And you do. Yeah. Because that's the thinking on the feet, which you're yeah, super but that's But that's, what, that's how yeah. I approach it. Mm. Exactly. I, something always goes wrong. And that's not negative to my mind. That's realistic. Stuff happens. You forget your presentation. The internet won't work. The computer <laughs> won't start. You haven't <laughs> yeah. got your USB. The screen isn't yeah. working. Yeah. Your speaker doesn't turn up. There's no cable. Uh, the cable yeah, it doesn't <laughs> suit a Mac. Wherever I go, it's a Mac issue. <laughs> but my thing is, yeah, mm. stuff is going to happen. <laughs> but that's okay because it'll still be all right. Exactly. Yeah, yep. uh, you're, so. you're exactly right. You, that that is that is what you need to think because at the end of the day, you are basically your 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 primitive mind um, is very vigilant. Uh, it's a bit obsessive. It's always coming up with things that can go mm. wrong. Okay, because you're thinking that way. This could go wrong. What happens if this goes wrong? But in effect. It more than likely won't go wrong. It'll yeah. more than likely be okay. So you've just got to really sort of think positively about it. Um, and um, so, so that's basically it. So the, the focus attention part is at the end. And then I give them a bit of homework. Um, and that's how it goes each week. So it's, we don't talk about anything that's happened to them. Um, but generally speaking, these probably a, it takes a couple of couple of three sessions for them to really come out with what is going on because it's a it's a question of know like and trust as well the first session they're thinking oh my goodness me you know what's she going to be like what's going to happen and then gradually as the session proceed something else will come out i'll say okay okay well we'll talk about that another time because it's in the past it's all now we're going to move you forward to be where you want to be. So, so moving forward to the solution. So, Maria, we're coming to the end of the show. How can people contact you? Okay. Um, okay. Well, my phone number is my mobile is oh seven seven six three four nine seven three two two. That's oh seven seven six three four nine seven three two two. Uh, my uh, email address is Maria at darkness to light and my website, which is currently, I'm having a new website built, but the current, the current one is darkness, www.darkness2lighthypnotherapy.co.uk. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, Maria Chimas Baker and Darkness to Light. I'm also on Instagram, um, D2L Hypnotherapy Mainstone. So, yeah. Just give me a buzz or connect with me. That would be fantastic. Super. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you've shared and helping our listeners. If, if, if I can just impose on you for one more thing, let's just assume somebody perhaps can't get to a hypnotherapist or doesn't want to go or can't afford it, um, but they're still feeling really anxious. Um, is there a, perhaps a quick technique that they can use? It's not going to it's not going to necessarily bring them to a solution because that's going to take a little bit longer, isn't it? But that can perhaps help them just calm down a bit in 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 the the near future. 
Okay, well, I've been posting about this, actually. Um, That's handy, isn't it? <laughs> in the last week, various tips for anxiety. And um, one of my key ones, um, I would say, is uh, deep breathing. Because when you're anxious, your heart is beating really fast. Um, and that's actually what's causing your primitive mind to get into action. Okay, so so you've you've got yourself into a you're, got you're, you've into got into a, a loop into a cycle exactly. of, of so yeah. Our mind is connected to our body, as we all know, as you know. So basically, it's sitting down somewhere quiet, even if it's for five minutes, a couple of times a day, and basically breathing in through your tummy. You feel your tummy going out. And out through your nose. And each time you do that, I was saying this to my client actually on Monday, each time you do that, imagine there's some of your anxiety leaving your body. And it could be in the form, give it a form. And I said to my client, okay, this first bit of anxiety is the size of an apple, right? Breathe it out. Your second breath, it's the size of maybe an apricot. Breathe it out. The, th the third breath is the size of a grape, maybe. Just breathe it out. And then the fourth one is the size of maybe a blueberry. Breathe it out. So you, each breath, you're imagining you're breathing out your anxiety. And you will feel better. So it's deep breathing. Because when you're breathing deeply, you're calming your body down and you're stopping your default primitive brain from taking over. Okay. So that's really useful because that's something that you can that you can do anyway, isn't it? You know, exactly. it, 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 wherever it is that you are, you exactly. should be able. And if you're if you're not in a position to stop and take a few deep breaths, then actually you need to do something seriously drastic exactly. to get yourself out of that situation. Exactly. Um, just sitting at your computer yeah. or something, just just mm. really take just five deep breaths, hold it for five mm. seconds and then out. And do try and do that for five minutes. And it's not that long, five minutes, just to relax yourself. Mm. And you'll feel yourself calming down. Thank you so much, Maria. So that's Maria Chimis-Baker from Darkness to Light Hypnotherapy. Adele, we will be back next week, won't we? We will. So my co-host, Adele Martin. Mm -hmm. I'm Sean Murphy. This has been Women in Business on the Fit for Business section of our show. So we will see you all again soon when we are talking about business strategy. Take care, folks. Bye. Bye. Tune in next week to the Women in Business radio show for more stories, ideas and inspiration to help you grow your business. Amazon Business Honors Ricardo Gurgel, owner of Veggie Root Tavern. This week, Ricardo saved big and used Amazon Business to help his team buy commercial deep fryers at a quantity discount. Because even veggies can be fried. I'm going to need two orders of fried fiddleheads. With business buying easier than before, Ricardo now uses his extra time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. Mmm, fiddleheads. Yum. Are you ready?
bonus days are back for pros. Only at Lowe's. Get savings on new Flex Stacked Lithium with more power, longer battery life, and faster charging than traditional lithium batteries. Get up to $150 off with purchase of select Flex 24-volt tools. Buy more, save more during bonus days at Lowe's. In-store must-ask cashier to scan barcode at time of purchase. More terms and restrictions apply. Savings varies based on total purchase. Minimum spend of $300 required. See Lowe's.com for more details. Selection varies by location. Valid through 1026. Audio Thank you for stopping by Masks Off. Uncovering the latest topics that you need to know about. From business, human trafficking, teen-related issues, mental health and wellness, and everything in between. Stay tuned for your host, Tuskia Thomas, keeping it real, honest, and relatable. Welcome to Masks Off, where we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hello, 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 and welcome to Mask Off. I am your host, Tiskia, and we are here with Ladaya. And today we're going to talk about the struggles in the healthcare with healthcare workers. Um, Ladaya, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Tiskia. I am honored to be here today. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so, my name is Ladaya Selmer. And I am from Houston, Texas. I've been a nurse for over 15 years, a registered nurse. Um, I've worked in many different fields. I started my career in Houston, Texas, um, and I moved to Chicago eight year, nine years ago, almost 10, and started my career in leadership in corporate um, America. So I am now a corporate nurse. I do hold an MBA and I've been in corporate now for nine years. Okay. So a lot of us know about the struggles. Well, we don't know. We hear about the struggles um, that a lot of the healthcare workers dealt with dealing with COVID, but we only hear what's on the media. So we never get a chance to hear from healthcare workers for ourselves. So can you explain to us some of the struggles that um, the healthcare workers dealt with um, prior to COVID, during COVID? What are some struggles that um, you guys deal with? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think, you know, when, we started dealing with COVID and the struggles of COVID. Um, we faced a lot of the struggles that the average American faced um, in having to deal with the shift of the unknown. Um, we were learning a lot about it just as well as others were learning a lot about it and the research was coming fast and there were many changes that was just happening um, very um, prompt. So we had to quickly adjust and get prepared to, you know, take care of people in the hospital setting, outpatient setting, um, whatever that may be, but also taking care of ourselves and trying to stay um, solid and strong for uh, others as we are taking care of them and trying to understand, you know, what's next or what's to come. Um, so 
this happened, COVID happened about three years ago, I would say, approximately. Um, and we've seen a huge shift in healthcare overall uh, because of the unknown and a lot of people being impacted by COVID, whether that be um, family members um, experiencing very chronic illnesses or those that was experiencing chronic disease and being impacted the worst. Um, and the number of people that um, expired due to COVID or the symptoms of COVID or the struggles of diseases that they had prior to COVID and them being the impacted the most. Um, so it did take a toll mentally, physically on healthcare workers. Um, again, trying to understand the fast paced movement of what we had to adjust to um, in hospital settings, outpatient settings. And again, it was changing pretty quickly for us. So um, I think the struggle with just the stress overall of trying to understand mm -hmm. what was happening, um, but also keep up with the, the scientific side of you know, research, evidence-based practice, and all of those things that was coming at us that we um, had to grasp pretty quickly in order to educate our patients in the communities. Okay. Wow. So was it a, a struggle dealing with this change and trying to balance your life with family? Because it was scary for everyone. So can you talk a little bit about how that kind of Absolutely. Yeah. So I think so. I think that that goes into the during. So the pre while it was happening. So during the pandemic and when all of the, the shift and the isolation and the quarantine and you know, having to be isolated away from our families, you know, that was a struggle within itself because, you know, we did not have the opportunity to flex back and forth. You know, you work a 12-hour a shift, a 14-hour shift, and you may take care of a COVID-positive patient mm -hmm. and you go home, right? Um, but that wasn't the structure or the protocol that was in place at that time. Uh, while they were working on vaccinations and working on a plan to, um, you know, treat COVID um, or the symptoms of COVID, we had to quarantine and isolate ourselves away from family members and friends and, you know, as well as the community, you know, businesses closing and um, hospitals, you know, being very strict about um, entry and, and visitations and so things changed so quickly that it did not give people an opportunity to truly process what was happening. You basically had to fall in line with what the CDC, the government and the federal government was saying that we needed to do, right. um, which can be a huge stressor for, for anyone if you don't truly understand the science behind it. Yeah, that's true. And speaking of the science, a lot of times, especially when it comes to science, and there's always a concern with the public, there's always finger pointing. And it goes from either the management or political. A lot of people like to blame the president or Congress or whoever. Um, do you feel like these struggles came from the lack of training or the lack of knowledge from management or from politicians? 
Um, you know, that's a heavily packed question. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't think that it came from lack of management and I, you know, some may think that it was political pitfalls, but, um, you know, everyone have their views about it. So for me, I, I would think that management, whether you're in management in corporate America, um, as far as healthcare, um, or if you're working bedside, right. we were all learning about COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And what this meant and what's happening and what we need to do next. And um, information was, you know, being triggered and shared amongst, you know, hospitalists and uh, medical professionals pretty quickly. And these were protocols and processes that we had to implement fast. Right. Um, And some of these things we had to um, then share with, with our employees or our teammates where, you know, they also had to process, you know, the, these things pretty quickly. Um, but that's what we do. I mean, as healthcare providers, as healthcare workers, we take an oath to care for people, to, you know, care for our community and to educate those that don't lack the knowledge or don't understand, um, what's happening in healthcare. It, It is up to us to help them understand, um, and share that information so that we are making the best decision to save lives and to treat those that may be struggling with uh, diseases or that may have been impacted with COVID. Um, so I, you know, it's hard for me to say that it's a political gain or, you know, um, uh, lack of, uh, of management. I, I feel that it was lack of knowledge across mm-hmm. all spectrums, um, rather it's management in healthcare or um, politics, but as we all learned more about COVID, how to treat COVID, how to save lives, um, we continue to then share that information so that it would be beneficial to everyone, so that we're we're not losing anyone due to this due to this virus. I'm gonna um, jump back to to the family real quick. So a lot of a lot of people don't understand that, like you said earlier. Um, you guys did have to sacrifice being away from your families for a long period of time to take care of other people. What type of mental struggle was that for, or what type of mental struggle was that dealing with sick people, but still at the same time worrying about what's going on with your personal life? Yeah, Um, again, Great question, and it brings back a lot of emotions that I had at the time when I had to face taking care of COVID patients and had no idea what I was walking into. Right. Um, it was hard for me. Um, I, you know, because there were so so many unknown questions that you know I I didn't have, and COVID impacted many people in so many different ways. Um, So, you know, being asymptomatic, meaning those that didn't have any symptoms, um, and then those that were chronically ill and had symptoms, 
So I found myself adapting to that individual or adapting to the situation at the time that I had to, you know, either uh, be more focused on this critically ill patient versus prioritizing and monitoring another patient that's not so sickly. Um, And then coaching my team on what it is that they should be looking for, the documentation that we had to have in place. And um, it it can take a toll on you mentally. Um, But again, I think for me, I always think back to what if it's my mom, my sister, my brother, a family member sitting in this chair or in this situation, you know, what would I want for them or what would I want for myself? So I have to take away my personal feelings and set that aside and make sure that I'm here to be a professional, um, to coach my team, to be professional, to do what it is that we took an oath to do, which is care for others and make sure that we are giving it our best and providing that quality care that people deserve. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, when I am uh, done with my work, which for me in corporate, I'm never done. (laughs) It's 24 (laughs) hours. But when my team, when they're done, um, you know, I then encourage them, take time for yourself. You know, when you are at home and your day is over, you take time for yourself, you detach, you relax, and you enjoy the time for you because you need that. Every individual that's, uh, regardless of the field that you're in, but especially in healthcare, um, you must take time for yourself so that you could reset and be ready and prepared to give your best that next day. Um, If you are not able to reset and give your best, then you are no good for the next person if you're not good to yourself. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the emotional part, because I know, of course, I was sitting at home, but you're watching TV and, and I'm sure, well, I know the media sometimes can make things a little bit worse, but you guys were sitting in the hospital, literally watching these people die. And I know being in the medical field, you're kind of prepared for death, but we're talking about rapid death, left and right. How... How did you guys cope with literally walking into a room and then five minutes later, this patient may be gone? Yeah, well, for for me, given that I'm in an outpatient setting, Mm -hmm. um, I see, I hear, and, and I'm impacted with reports and things that I am receiving from an inpatient, which would be the hospital setting. Okay. Um, it's scary. Um, you know, there were patients or and people that I've known that was admitted and we thought that they were okay. And unfortunately, you know, they were not, they did not return to us. Um, that hit home and felt very personal because you develop relationships with individuals and you never want to see anyone go Um, And when you get the news that, you know, someone has lost their life due to this virus or um, struggles with any chronic disease, it, it, it's touching, it's emotional. Um, And, and it's hard to remove yourself from that because we are all human. 
Um, and again, you, we have to understand the process of life. We have to, we have to understand how to treat certain diseases um, to prevent those things from happening. But, you know, it's unfortunate that we went through this spiral where we were trying to figure it out and trying to figure it out quickly in order to save lives. So those that we lost, my heart goes out to, to those, you know, individuals, those families, prayers go out to those families um, even now, because uh, COVID is not over and we're still dealing with this. Um, we definitely have to be grounded and be more knowledgeable um, about how to prevent these things. So it starts with education, right. educating yourself, healthcare workers, educating communities so that we are better prepared and taking care of ourselves and preventing death or preventing symptoms from, from being worse. And um, so hearing that, I have another question. So we know COVID taught us that anything can happen at any given moment. And we know that we have to be able to, you know, do quick switches in order to kind of cope with life, cope with what's going on in reality. How do you feel the medical field is equipped now going forward than it was maybe four or five years ago? Do you think that if something else happened that's totally different from COVID, that we will have this same downfall? Or do you think that, hey, COVID taught us enough that we need to stay one um, foot in front of the other? I think COVID was an eye-opener. I think COVID was definitely an eye opener. Things have definitely changed in the healthcare setting um, over the last three years. Um, we we did see a shift with healthcare workers feeling overwhelmed and tired, and I think that's what led to the Great Resignation. Right. Um, the, the frustration and, and the um, emotions behind um, whether what their beliefs were, right? Because when the vaccines came out, um, we had a divide. You had some that believed in it, you had some that did not. Um, then you had mandates um, that came across and it depended, it was dependent on the state that you were in on the mandate that you followed. Right. Um, you know, some states required you mandatory vaccinations. Um, you know, some states did not. So where we saw the most um, healthcare workers resigning was those states in those hospital settings that was demanding that it was mandatory. Right. Um, now it's unfortunate. Um, because we, we lost a number of healthcare workers, um, which we were already short of healthcare workers right. and nurses, right? So if we're, we're already struggling with a nursing shortage, um, and now here we are caught up in a pandemic um, that has um, divided um, you know, the opinions of healthcare workers, now we have a number of thousands of those that have 
decided to either resign from healthcare and, and start new careers um, or um, transition into a field that did not require them to, you know, follow those mandates or um, work bedside where it was as stressful. So, you know, that being said, it has definitely been a change in healthcare. Um, and it has certainly led to, I think, a different type of struggle um, where you're not only short staffed, it's hard to find staff. Right. Um, so you still have struggles with hospitals not being able to staff and, and, and open up all of their um, uh, beds for the number of uh, patients that they have sitting in the ER. Um, you know, so those wait times are longer. Um, and then in our outpatient settings, you know, we still struggle with the number of admissions that we can take in um, at once when we get those requests from our healthcare partners um, or our providers to, to treat. So we have to then be creative as to how we are staffing our units, um, how we are strategizing across um, our market to staff and admit patients um, because the last thing we want to do is deny, right? Mm -hmm. People need care and right. the care continues. So um, the strategy and being creative is, is, I would say more in demand now than it was before. Um, but we also, I, I think is starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel um, as we're getting new grads that are interested in healthcare, but it's going to take time to get those new grads on board, get them trained and ready um, to start working independently in, in our settings, whether that be outpatient or inpatient. Okay. So um, speaking of the vaccine, do you think that eventually um, there will be a respect for those who are not willing to be vaccinated, um, that they're not willing to be vaccinated due to the lack of research, like this is kind of quick. We've been studying breast cancer and all different types of cancers for years and we still don't have a, a solution. And then they're asking you know, people to put something else in their body that they're really not sure. So do you think eventually that that would be respected, that people prefer a little bit more research before they kind of force people to take this shot? Well, you know, that's a good question. And I think that people have many reasons as to why they choose not to get vaccinated. And right. let's, you know, let's face it, everyone have a right to right. what they put in their bodies. I think the research is there. I think, uh, you know, the CDC um, and you know many other organizations have done their studies and provided research um, on how the vaccine vaccine is effective. Right. Um, whether that's Moderna, Pfizer, um, there's been some controversy with Johnson and Johnson, mm -hmm. um, but there's been some doubt with them all, right? Um, the efficacy rate has been shared with, indi with individuals. It's, it's all public. Um, we made sure that 
we were educating individuals based on age, based on chronic disease. So I've always educated and encouraged making sure you talk with your providers, making sure you have great knowledge as to what's going on and happening with your body before you put anything in your body, uh, whether that be the COVID vaccine or any vaccine and how that may affect you uh, depending on what you may personally have going on. Um, that's when we start to see, you know, a change or a shift or symptoms may differ from one person to, to the next. Um, so I always say be knowledgeable um, about uh, what it is that you're uh, putting into your body, knowledgeable about vaccines, medications, or anything. You even want to be knowledgeable about your diet, right? right. So whatever we ingest, whether it's a medication, food, and just through everyday um, processing of what we drink um, or eat, you want to be knowledgeable about where you're getting it from um, and the sources. So make sure we educate ourselves first um, before we um, seek, you know, out vaccines or any other um medication that we are thinking about receiving or taking. I think it's just important that we know and that we we have the knowledge before we move forward with, with anything that we do. Okay, one last question. Um, so in your opinion, how can we um, fix some of these struggles, either long-term or short-term for healthcare workers or for people who are considering Healthcare. Um, well, there are many struggles. So, are we speaking of um, staffing shortages, resignation, or lack of knowledge, vaccination? Um, well, all of the all of the above. All of because, because um, well, you know, for like for Draylon, my son. He wants to go into nursing and I have all these questions and fears of all the above, <laughs> you know? So do you, how, how do you think that people's minds can be relaxed to say, this is still a good industry? Educate, educate, educate. There is no, there's no wrong in educating yourself and knowing which direction you choose to go in or the choices that you make for yourself. But the more education you have, the more knowledge you have, then the more you would know as far as making the right choice for you. Um, you know, there are many things that we can share as healthcare workers, but even with us sharing that information, it's up to you to do your part on understanding it right. and processing it. And once you have um, what you need, then I think you can make sound judgment with the best decision for yourself. Um, for me, I, I had to educate myself on, you know, what was best for me before I got vaccinated. Um, so all of this information and different resources um, you're receiving, but make sure that it's credible, right. right? Because you can Google all day and you're Googling and you, you're misinformed because there's a lot of information that 
um, is just not there. It's not fact. And, you know, it can then be confusing as to which direction that you take right. with making the best choice for you. Um, as far as healthcare struggles and, um, you know, nursing shortages, the resignation, I think we have a long way to go. Um, I think that um, it's definitely going to take a lot of recruiting efforts and creativity as to how we are um, gaining those healthcare workers back, mm -hmm. um, especially because we've lost so many and we've lost many for many different reasons. Um, one, one thing I will say is that we've lost several in the hospital setting or the outpatient setting because we have several that have decided to become entrepreneurs. So right. that's actually a good, that's a good thing. Right. Um, so they're, they're not stepping out of the healthcare field, but those that have decided to step out of the healthcare field, for whatever reason it is, um, you know, that's a decision that they decided to make, but it's up to us as leaders to build our communities, to bring awareness to the need, to educate people um, as to what their choices are, job fairs, and recruit uh, the best of the best and making sure that um, we are able to get positions filled timely so that we get hospitals and outpatient centers back to where um, they need to be. And before we go, um... Is there anything that you would like to add or promote before we close out today? Um, well, I think that, you know, speaking of healthcare workers in some directions that many have decided to take, um, we have a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of healthcare providers that have started their own businesses. Um, if you are looking for um, a dentist in the Chicago land area, whether that's the south or north side of Chicago, um, you can reach out to Total Comfort Dental Care um, online, and it is totalcomfortdentalcare.com, uh, where you can find a dentist, and that dentist can provide uh, care for you in your home if you are not capable or you know someone that's not capable of getting out and going to the dentist. So um, wanted to share that, but that is a great opportunity for, you know, oral care is very important. And if you um, are struggling with getting to the de dentist or some know someone that is, um, Total Comfort Dental Care can provide you those services. Hey, thank you. And we're going to um, ask you for the information so we can post it as well. Um, well, thank you, Ladaya, for your time in speaking with us. Hopefully you'll come and join us again to discuss other healthcare problems or um, issues that may need America's attention. So um, thank you for joining us at Mask Off, and we appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah.